Hey, what's good, people? This is episode 167 of the Option Podcast. That looks like Arena Zuckerman. Did I say that right? Yes, you yes, did. Yes, I did. Good. Wow. <laughs> Jason DeBeas, I got right too. Ladies and gentlemen, the episode starts right now. What's up, Arena? All right. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's a pleasure to be here. Hey, people like you are the reasons why I get up early because though I live in California, I am still not a morning person. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, this is episode 167. This is the Option Podcast. That young lady next to me is, is political analyst, journalist. I got a whole bunch of titles I think I just want to read just so I can get it right. It had such brill to it. Um, yeah, national security and human rights lawyer, journalist. Geo geopolitical analyst and so much more welcome welcome to my world uh filled with athletes um morons from brooklyn uh pseudo intellectuals and i resemble that they're more you live in that other the manhattan beach right uh brighton beach yeah brighton beach that's yeah but although i've lived um i lived in chelsea for 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 a year but brooklyn is really my my it's my your home yeah it's your home. Hey, I went to John Dewey High School. I went to Fort Hamilton in Bay Ridge. Nice. Awesome. I um, They had a, such a good volleyball team, too. I was the head coach at Hunter High School, and we had to play them twice a year. Um, and I don't know if the coach is still there, but uh, interesting story before we get into this political stuff. There was a guy on Fort Hamilton, an Asian kid, who lost his arm to cancer. This oh. was in 2013, and he had about a month to live, maybe a month and a half. And his only wish was to make it to his two wishes was to make it to his 18th birthday, and play an entire season with his boys' volleyball team. He passed all of the the test, you know, that allowed him to play with one arm. He was doing one arm push-ups with his left arm, his weaker arm, and I did not know about this guy until we met them in the in the quarterfinals of the PSAL championships and and everyone knew and it was unusually crowded I'm like there's like 300 people here and my wife is like you look nervous and this, you, you you're better than this team what's the I said no there's something else going on here and he gets on the court and everyone starts clapping and they put him in the middle blocking position and I'm like how do I tell my kids don't block the one-armed man without seeming like a jerk, <laughs> you know? So they set him a ball, and he just reaches above his head, and my guys double block him, even though it's his weaker arm. And when he hit the ball down, I just sit down and shut up because I wanted to yell at my team, don't block the one-armed guy, but you can't. You know, you can't say that. So, And they ended up beating us, and then two weeks later, he, pa he passed away. Um and for volleyball people, we were like, wow, that's how you want to go. But it, it brought it brought a tear to my eye. It, 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 it was just so sad, you know? Yeah. You are literally giving me chills with that story. I mean, I'm just yeah. sitting here and literally getting chills because that's, you know, I wish I knew about that. I mean, it's way after my, you know, yeah. time there, obviously. But uh, yeah, know, it, was it was 2013. And, and I had my, I, I usually know everything about my sport i'm ingratiated in it i don't i don't have this is my day job this is my hobby this is my life this is my wife my second wife my first wife will drop kick me if she ever she ever have i ever heard that um <laughs> and i and i didn't even see that until afterwards and i couldn't stop crying i i couldn't 
Yeah. You know who else makes me cry? George Santos. Over with laughter. I hope I hope it's more like cry laughing. <laughs> yes. More, uh, more like um Chekhovian suffering. <laughs> if you ever read The Seagull, right? That's a comedy in five acts. Um and I'd like to talk about trans and uh, do you speak Russian a little bit? Uh, very much so, yes. Okay, so we can talk about translations later. We're going to have fun in this podcast. Sure. Oh, yeah. I, oh, yeah. I, lo I love translations and I love talking about translations. So, bring my, so I don't spend the entire thing talking when you're my guest. You're supposed to be my guest. Tell my audience, go through a list of things George Santos lied about um, to get himself elected. My gosh, if I had to, you know, if I get a, if I could get a penny for every lie he told, I think I could run my own campaign. <laughs> get that private jet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, he went around telling that he is, uh, uh, that his family is of Jewish descent, that he had cancer, that uh, that he was a cancer survivor. Uh, the, he went around telling donors that he was a Spider-Man musical, uh, Broadway musical producer. And, <laughs> He told Republicans basically what they wanted to hear, and he, you know, he told Democrats the ethnic stuff, and he told uh, conservative the, you know, uh, the things they wanted to hear. He told everybody exactly what they wanted to hear, and it didn't stop anybody from working for him anyway. <laughs> Dude, yeah, he, yeah, lied about working for Goldman Sachs, right? Um, which is kind of a big national lie. Uh, lied about turning Citicorp down. Um, lied about being Jewish, which is just, which is a big New York lie. You, you know, New Yorkers have a sense of humor, boo. But um, I think I speak for both of us when I say we don't play that. You know? Oh, I meant Jewish. It's like. Sure oh, but I have to tell you a funny story that literally just broke. You know, in the last day or two, mm -hmm. there was uh, it. It was broken by the intercept and on your post picked it up. There's a character named Raquel Evita Saraswati, which is not her real name. Oh, no. <laughs> and this woman, I've known of her through internet interactions from more than 10 years ago, I would say. Right. And she is the original George Santos. She is? Dude. <laughs> he was George Santos before he got his idea. Maybe he got his yeah. idea from her. I don't know. Oh, how but about... She claimed... Yeah. She claimed to be a Muslim convert from whatever she was previously, Asian, um, Latin, um, Arab, pro-Jewish. She went around doing all these gigs on, on me for, for Jewish think tanks and pro-Jewish, you know, Middle East-oriented think tanks. And she was in all those, you know, pro-Jewish circles. And then she switched to very hard left um, American friends organization and started doing anti-semitic circles with equal success wow. i actually have not heard of her in years because i was not following her career path and once she dropped out of you know the scene i kind of lost sight of her but i just this memory came back to haunt me in the past two days when all of a sudden she's making heavens and they said wait a second i know her she's the original george santos she's yes. the one and only the inspiration now it didn't bother me at first when I saw a guy that lied about, um, he even lied about not his mom dying at 9-11, you know, during 9-11. It turns out she died in 2016. He said that she died on 9-11. And that was another lie. And, but I look at all these lies. I look at Citicorp, I look at Citigroup, I look at um, 
Goldman Sachs, and you, someone does that and they get elected. And when I see something like that from afar, uh, I see someone like that. Atola Lozlazen got elected, and I say to myself, that guy's going to become president someday, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so, you know, because that, that was like a normal day for me. But the lie that, that I couldn't take, like you're a Jewish person, so I know you don't play that Jewish stuff when he said that. I don't play that volleyball stuff. This man said he got a full volleyball scholarship, an athletic scholarship at Baruch College, and said that when he played, they wiped the floor with Harvard and Yale. Now, um, I want to tell you about my world, about my wheelhouse uh, for 30 seconds. Our sniff test tells us two important things. One, Baruch College is Division Three, so they don't offer athletic scholarships. Um, plenty of academic, it's, as you know, when you're, as a New Yorker, it's a smart kid school. It's, uh, as far as the CUNY schools go, it's a smart mm -hmm. kid school, and it leads, it's a, a nation's leader in finance. So it's hard to get in. Uh, but those kids that get in are not athletic. They don't, Division Three is not allowed to offer athletic scholarships. They're Division Three, only Division One. And even for D1, they only offer 4.5 for like an 18-person roster. So I'm like, no way, this guy got one. So that's part one of my sniff test. Part two, and I'm almost done, Yale does not have an NCAA men's volleyball team. So these are things that, that volleyball players were like, uh, we can forgive anything. <laughs> But not volleyball. You've gone too far. So, so you, <laughs> right? So, so I felt he the same way. Volleyball people, he is done. Yeah. <laughs> I also know because I was the assistant coach there from 2003 to 2006. So I just started calling and, and I'm like, who is this guy? And the, and the head coach at that time, Allison Stack and Justin Stack was like, we never heard of this guy. You know, um, Justin Stack, who I played college ball with. So, I, I, and I'm mad at George Santos because everything I told you about you before about me in this podcast is true. And it, and it could all seem like a lie because the guy's <laughs> like that. You know, did I mention I'm black? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this trans racialism, trans ethnicism, trans trans religionism. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I get that today's mentality is you can be whatever you want, but mm -hmm. why want to be something you are not? No. I mean, it, it seems to be a way of getting attention to aspire to be something you really are not. And yes, I realize that there are people who have roots in various diverse ethnicities who may feel like you know something that you know they may not look like but i cannot imagine that all that every second person is going to feel like they're not whoever they really are yeah you know? no doubt and you know and if it's true if they really do feel that way then it's very sad that they cannot be happy and satisfied with you know uh, yeah with themselves well, one of my favorite quotes, because everybody tells sea stories. I'm, I'm ex-military, so, you know, someone tells has a story that's true, but it doesn't seem as interesting unless they put a little salt on it, right? Like, even in the Bible, right? Like, David and Goliath, they say Goliath is like 20 feet tall. He has to, you have to say he's 20 feet tall so people can remember the story. Like, if, mm -hmm. if Goliath was only like six foot eight, it's like, screw that, dude. The NBA is full. You know, we got the basketball league. The NBA is full of guys like that. So what? I, I could kick LeBron's behind, you know? So so I understand. Um, I don't condone, but I understand why someone would put salt on whatever. Um, but wow. Yeah, this guy's going to be president someday. <laughs> Yeah, he can be yes, his way through anything, and he's still, you know, he got elected. He's in Congress. He's still making the news because yeah. it's the most important thing for the for politicians. So I mean, well, he's protected now. He um he there were pictures found of him in Brazil dressed in drag. 
So now he's a protected class. So, so, yeah, that's so, so he, he can't, <laughs> he right? You can't get rid of Don Lemon. You can't get rid of George Santos. <laughs> he's, uh, yeah, he is forever. And the, he's become a classic. <laughs> and now, <laughs> and now we're hearing other, you know, other stories of uh, aspirational <laughs> imitators. There is a, this, uh, another another uh, member of Congress, I think, uh, from from another district who claimed to be uh, Asian and Jewish and something else. I forgot. I forgot what her wow. story is exactly, but it, you know, it seemed very unlikely to put them all this. <laughs> yeah. So this is a lesson for everybody at home. Okay, to quote the great Jesse Ventura, if you d if you tell the truth, you don't have to have a good memory. <laughs> right. <laughs> if you tell the truth, you don't have to go have a good memory. And as you get older, you got to remember the, 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 the nonsensical BS stories we've told in our lives. Oh, and let's not forget that he said he, he was gay to some people. While he, was gay. <laughs> <laughs> he got he got them all. He got every category no. of people, of human so, beings covered. <laughs> so he's not welcome on Wall Street. He's not welcome in Chelsea. You know, Chelsea's a very gay neighborhood. He's not welcome in that neighborhood. He's going to get jumped by a bunch of Queens, right? He is not welcome and definitely not welcome in Brooklyn, New York. He is not welcome in the volleyball community. He is not welcome in the Jewish community. <laughs> but he fits right in, in Washington. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's like, where's this man safe? You're like, I'll tell you <laughs> in Washington. <laughs> well, that concludes the podcast. We answered all our questions. <laughs> Actually, we are far from being done. Thanks for having a little fun with me. I'm reminding everybody and you because you're a new guest. Um, it's a conversation. It's not an interview. So, uh, um, so you know, kick back. And, and uh, we'll definitely talk about some serious stuff, but have a little fun. This is, this is just, there's so many of my guests that came in making interview and leaving regretting that they could have had a conversation. You know, uh, a friend of mine, uh, Trevor Crabb, who's like a great volleyball player. Um, shortest episode, and I know he left, being like, "Man, I could, I could have just talked," <laughs> you know. So, Irina, let's talk a little bit. I have a question for you. Jumping, jumping back to you, did you and your parents migrate here when you were early childhood? I was ten and a half. We came in nineteen ninety-five, so I've been here for a while. Cool. Tell me yeah. something about your childhood um as far back as you can remember uh growing up in ukraine before you moved here I, that now that's that's a huge ask because i'm 52 i don't remember what the hell i was doing when i was eight nine or ten years old so i want to talk a bit about a little bit about your memory and, and the exodus to the united states of america oh i actually remember quite far and quite well surprisingly for many people um you know it's it's a mixture of, you know, good and bad. I, you know, it's funny because as a child, you process things differently. You process the memories with your family differently. I ha I really enjoyed being uh, with my family. I mean, because I was not an adult, I didn't have to worry about the economic issues. But I also perceived the issues. I understood the issues. I uh, remembered, you know, I, I remember knowing what was not there. And especially when... Things started coming in from the U.S. after the fall of the Soviet Union. It it was such a sharp contrast, getting the glimpses of what was life like in the West versus where we were 
there but at the same time i can say that you know i spent every moment of my being being miserable and you know even when things were not good even when objectively people would be horrified actually at some of the things that were happening the the, during the hard economic years during the hunger it's not like i was miserable about it because i i felt protected i felt you know that my family cared for me and there were things that i genuinely enjoyed doing i enjoyed you know living near a forest going for hikes with my family going to a river nearby you know uh, reading books spending a lot of time reading books listening to stories from my family fairy tales and having some sort of a sense of magic in my life helping me get through kind of things going to school learning asking a lot of questions even things that were you know to put it more not great about you know how things were working it wasn't you know traumatic it was just okay i perceived it as normal um i definitely is it is it because sorry let me, let me interrupt is it because it's all you recognized no, I did on some level. I understood the hardships and understood that it wasn't great. But at the same time, um, it was also you know people are very adaptable. They can learn to focus on what they want to focus. You know, they don't unless you tell them that they need to be miserable. They don't necessarily have to be miserable. That's very, you know, very if you good. perceive if you don't focus on you know oh well I'm so the situation is so hard we're gonna get through it and you get through it and you might some even find things that you focus on and you see it as a okay so the heat is not working and the food is scarce but at the same time I am really enjoying this particular uh, thing that I'm learning right now and on the weekend I get to go out and explore and um i'm going to have my uh my favorite thing for dinner because you know it may not be all that much but i really enjoy it anyway so yeah i think i have a very similar path um as as you know i, I before the podcast i told you i'm from brooklyn as well uh flatbush avenue is you know predominantly west indian uh but i grew up in coney island uh, before I was eight years old, right? And and it was Cary Gardens, which if you're from Brooklyn is not to be confused with Carroll Gardens. Carroll Gardens is nice. <laughs> Cary Gardens, the projects on 23rd Street and Surf Avenue, a little bit different, right? But very much like you, when you're a kid, the only thing you see is, wow, I live, I live across the street from the beach, <laughs> you know, <laughs> right? Um, which is, you know, where you live right now. You live in Brighton Beach, right? So you're close to the beach. So I guess when you grow up and you and you see these things and this is like, this is all I have. It's all I need. Now, um, how am I doing so far? Yeah, yeah. It's not, that, by the way, it's not like I didn't want other things. But I also, you know, I because I've been reading so much all my life and mm -hmm. all the stories and I my imagination really got me through a lot of things that other people would have been much more obsessive and fixated about. I always had these imaginary adventures and I was thought about, well, okay, right now it seems pretty drab, but someday this is what I'm going to get to do. And if I don't tell anyone and don't ask for permission, then they can't tell me that, oh, well, you're not supposed to do that. Or you can't do that. And you know, surprisingly enough, that's actually exactly how it worked out later on. Not to say that it's been easy, but it actually has helped me a great deal. I think um, it shaped your per your path, 
you know i mean we're talking we're just talking about ukraine we didn't even we're not even talking about the rest of your childhood in the united states um, mm -hmm. emigrating to the u.s and the path that you decided to be an attorney you know fordham law school very competitive law uh, law school so i think i don't know i guess my question is and again it's not like an interview thing but it's a it's a legitimate question does this level of independent thinking and freeing your mind by reading what you want and this autonomy as a child allow you to choose uh the path that you love i think so but i also think that i was naturally inclined not to be a follower and i'm just not good at giving into peer pressure at all even if it makes me miserable even if i end up you know in a horrible position i just could never do that and i don't know whether it has to do with the way with what i read or whether it's just my personality or maybe a mixture of both which is very likely i just couldn't do it no matter what happened ever in any situation i just no matter what the subject matter what the issue what the circumstances i just could not just really follow what everyone doing everyone was doing not for the sake of being contrary and just to piss people off although it's very tempting sometimes that's but that's just, fun too <laughs> yeah it is but you know the reality is i don't understand why i need to or have to or why do i care enough about what other people are thinking to have to you know adhere to their expectations why should i adhere to theirs and they shouldn't adhere to mine yeah you can appreciate the amount of time that's wasted in a childhood when a kid is feels like they're pressured to go another direction beyond their, their level of independent thinking and creative thought uh, what were some of the books you read that that inspired me when you grew up uh, growing up as a kid of course I mean, um, I'm gonna ask you last good book you read later in this podcast because we sure, have we have a sure. lightning round to finish, which is absolutely fun. So, so I was reading a lot of fairy tales from all around the world, mm -hmm. you know. And actually, you, you may think, well, it's a waste of time. You're not learning from anything. Actually, learning a lot more. And I wish American children of any background read a lot more because it first of all creates a sense of basic ethics that is impossible to break down and it also exposes you to other cultures and it shows you kind of how similar values despite vast differences in cultures prevail throughout time and history and it also makes you think more be imaginative not just go for the most literal thing it helps you become a more creative lateral thinker right. so i appreciate that i read also a lot of adventure stories like french you know adventure literature american also some of it things that are not widely read in the u.s and by the way speaking of translations primary reason for why that worked out for me as well as it did was because the translations were excellent i it's later came so to important. the united states and compared foreign translations to the ones i've read and they just were not you know not anywhere near as good they were difficult to read, not because I have a low level of reading, but they just were not interesting. The, the language didn't mix well, it just didn't translate well. Now, I understand why many kids here don't, you know, read foreign lit. They just, the translations are not appealing and Agreed. they're not compelling. You need to have something that draws you in. If you want to start reading a story, you want to identify with the character and you want the language to really touch you. So uh so i i was reading a lot of this kind of stuff and it actually prepared me well it 
a lot of it was political on a level that I didn't necessarily appreciate at the time, but kind of it kind of went into the background of my mind and helped me later on, much later. But also the values, the kind of the the loyalty, the not giving in to the peer pressure, the sense of adventure and uh, resilience and overcoming obstacles and you know battling villains and really standing up for what's right. That kind of really really inspired me to a way that I said, well, what can't it translate in into real life? Okay, I'm not living in this adventure novel, but you know, I still live among human beings and I still have to behave according to what I admire and not and what it seems to be a positive thing to do. So that 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 a lot that's the kind of thing I was reading a lot and I'm actually very, very grateful for that. It was the best thing that could have happened to me. I'll give you a great example on um, because um, wow, you said a lot, but I want to go back to the translation thing. Um, I'll give you an example: the seagull. Remember we were talking? Uh, I mentioned the seagull, a, <laughs> a comedy in five acts. Ha ha ha. Um, I read a translation by George Young, hated it, <laughs> hated the play, and then I read I read a translation by Tom Stoppard, who is a British playwright, and I got to see it in Shakespeare in the Park. Um, in fact, Meryl Streep played Arcadina and um, who was it? Kevin Klein played Car Constantine and Christopher Walken played Soren. So, and I'll give you an example at the beginning of the play where Masha was like, I am mourning from, they asked what's wrong with it. She's like, I'm mourning from my life. I'm unhappy, right? Now from Russian, um, the way tr unhappy translates from Russian can also mean unfortunate, right? So if you make the decision to translate that to I'm unfortunate, some people might think of things of material things, maybe money, where like if you just say, I'm unhappy, they're thinking about love and maybe, 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 you know, things of the heart or whatever. So that's just like the first line of the play and, and you're screwed. <laughs> that's just that's not even the whole play. That's just the beginning. So I have a huge um, appreciation for um, translation and, and having people understand it. And, and moreover. I love adventures and fantasies because it allows you to keep virtue that goes above the realm of just what everyone perceives as logical and sensible. There are some things in our lives that are logical and sensible, but not right. <laughs> you know, and that's, I completely, and that's, I mean, and that's sorry, please. I mean, I, I actually remember one of the first kind of fantasy series that I've read I uh, was uh, Roger Zelazny's The uh, Chronicles of Ember, and I was just, you know, 10 when I read it. I got the first book for my birthday. I didn't realize it was a series at first. For a long time, I thought that's all there was, and I also couldn't find the rest for a very long time, for, for, for many years, until I came uh, to the U.S. But reading that, on the one hand, yes, it seems, okay, what does that have to do real, with real life? In real life, you have to work hard, study hard, get good grades, you know, you know, you know, listen to your parents, don't get in trouble, blah, blah, blah. So, so what's the relation between an entertaining story and that? But on the other hand, I see, you know, how this another person is going through all these ordeals and it relates to other people and the world is different from mine. And you, you start thinking, what can I draw from there? You know, how yeah. can I make this relevant to my own life? And, and why, what is it really that different? 
is it different just because I live in a different world with a different system or, you know, and this person is in between different worlds. This starts out with somebody who has no memory of his past and has to rediscover himself. Yeah, um, it's in theater, we call it retrospective action. We have to look at things in our past that shaped who we are and at least raise the question, right? You're not going to have all the answers, but if you raise the question and constantly pose the question over and over again, there's a lot of things you could figure out on your own or, or maybe you and, and your family and friends could figure out together. Very, very much like Silence of the Lambs. Like if you've ever seen that, Jodie Foster. Um, so of course, Silence one of, of my favorites. Yeah, uh, educating the people at home. Silence of the Lambs is uh, Jodie Foster is a rookie FBI agent that had to interrogate um, a doctor who was also a cannibal and a psych ward, and they warned her not to to veer away because you don't want that guy in your head. So the guy was a serial killer, but ended up because he's a practicing psychiatrist, ended up treating her, and she basically had these lambs that were getting slaughtered and she tried to save them and the uncle got mad and sent them away and she still had nightmares about them being slaughtered so his question was for the people at home listening because i know you saw it already um mm -hmm. was do you feel like if you catch buffalo bill the lambs will stop screaming and her answer was i don't know and he says thank you clarice <laughs> you know and that's and that's an example of retrospective action being able to look back and say does this, what does this have to do with, with how I am now? Maybe nothing, maybe everything, right? Like if you're molested by your piano teacher and then you start failing science class, how, how are they connected? Maybe they're not, but maybe they are because when you're growing as a child from a toddler to a young child, to a teenager, to a young adult, to a full adult, that's a psychological growth that can be interrupted, altered, um, and thank God in your, in your path, swayed, swayed the direction you want to go. So, uh, sorry, a little lesson on retrospective action. I'm not a doctor. I'm just an actor. I, I played one. <laughs> I've actually played one. <laughs> I'm not a lawyer, but I've played one. <laughs> so you know, it's funny that you mentioned that because actually that kind of happened to me, not as dramatic as the as the lambs, but when I come came to the United States, that's when I started having nightmares about having to go back, and oh. I couldn't understand why when nobody was turning us away and we were perfectly fine and things were proceeding as they should and there was no prospect for us returning at all. Nobody was right. planning to. That happened for many years, actually. That was a, uh, there was an anti-Semitism uh, issue in 1995 yes, when you were leaving was. there, right? Yeah. And at that, the time, and I was living there, it yeah. was quite significant. Mm -hmm. uh, but in general, it was that there was a high crime. We were fleeing in the middle of the night. We had to bring a security guard with a, with a handgun to protect us because organized crime was rampant at the time. And again, I was... And, and somebody I sort of knew to frame a circle ended up getting killed. It, it, it was crazy. It was really crazy. But I didn't really fully you know, process all of that. It was funny. And then many years afterwards, as an adult, I had an opportunity to go back to Ukraine to a different city for a conference. And this uh, I, this was 2017, was, right? For for the people listening, that was 2017. 2016. Okay. For, in 2016, I go back for a conference, right? To Ukraine, <laughs> and I was very apprehensive, to be honest, not because of various real issues that were going on at the time, which were you know cause enough for concern, but but because I just because of these nightmares, I really wasn't sure how I was going to um, really fit in. 
and it was funny but i when i got on the ground it was when i when i got on the ground after that after that experience the nightmare stopped completely wow i never had one again that 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 trip was totally necessary then that trip was super necessary maybe in retrospect yes it was and i i am i'm genuine i genuinely was glad that it went for many reasons mm -hmm. but it completely changed my perception something changed because i saw people differently when i came there as an adult when i saw the circumstances the uh the aftermath of the war the, the war was still ongoing you know relatively speaking in kiev where i was it stopped but the poverty the post-war the in kind of doing war poverty the political issues the tensions it was very real there were children suffering from trauma that people here are not aware of they know about this invasion they don't really think what impact the previous invasion of 2014 had and right. i started seeing people differently from having something happen or potentially happen to me the poverty the anti-semitism the concerns about crime to seeing other people being affected and being and stop seeing myself i guess as a victim and more like seeing that other people also can have you know problems and i don't have to look at them as you know the people who potentially did or would have done something to me but as people who were also suffering from the and had their own needs and to whom i could relate on a in a different way right i think that's basically what it was i think it was quite a significant shift well there's there's an old saying um if your dreams don't scare you they're not big enough okay so um because you've you've done a lot of reading and because you've in your childhood have reshaped the world that you thought it should be um made you just brave enough to do to to go back just brave enough to 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 have that nervous moment until your feet hit the ground just brave enough to get in there and see see things for what they were and what they're becoming and what they're changing into some for the better some for the worse right we can get into we can, that's a whole that's a whole nother episode but i got time um and that's amazing. That's all. That's, that's not a question. That's just that's just amazing. That's just an amazing story. That's an amazing story. And I, I think you'd be surprised how many Americans go through that, depending on the neighborhood you grow up in. Right. <laughs> Look, Flatbush isn't isn't Eastern Europe. <laughs> and I tell like growing up on Flatbush, I thought it was hard. Then I, then I meet a lot of my friends from Eastern Europe. I'm like, you guys aren't. Gang There's no gangsters on Flatbush. <laughs> that that's the thug life over there, man. <laughs> you know, you think you think you guys think you're a hood, man. That is that is nothing <laughs> so i i guess i'm i'm steering us uh, a certain direction but i promise i won't drive us both off the cliff you know if, if it's, it's some, okay i don't mind sometimes yeah. it could be fun <laughs> sometimes we just need to fly right we, the car needs to have wings so i was steering this to the to the direction of your um desire and entrance to go to law school all right um would you go to undergrad first for them also for them at lincoln oh. center Wow. Yeah. Cool. I graduated early. I know where it I is. went for three years and then went straight to law school. I graduated near Lincoln Center. Avery Fisher Hall. I, I, I went to Marymount, Manhattan. Mm -hmm. Well, I went to Hunter College for a cup of coffee. I was I was a moron. I didn't I didn't belong in college. I went one semester, which was just long enough to play NCAA volleyball. And then I ended up playing overseas in Germany. And then 
Um, uh, I had a boss, a Jewish guy, I'll tell you about later, that told me I got to go back to school. Nobody's hiring you without your BS or BA. You have <laughs> to go back to school. So, um, so Fordham Law School, for, uh, Fordham undergrad, Fordham Law School. Mm -hmm. Getting back to the saying, if your dreams don't scare you, they're not big enough. Was there an element of fear uh, of you, you stepping into a world that was bigger than what you read as a child? Not initially, it came later. At that time, I was just excited about, I was in awe that I was able to fulfill my dreams, that I was able to set out a goal and actually reach it, and that I was basically in a place that could lead to great achievements. I just was in awe of being able to be in that position. So I wasn't fearful, I was excited, I was uh, odd, a little bit intimidated. I realized that the confidence would ha would need to come with experience. So I was intimidated by all these confident professors who embodied everything I admired. And, you know, they talked like they knew what they were talking about. And they walked in a certain confident professional way. And I was asking myself, could I, could I really go from here being a student, you know, pouring over books to being you know, somebody who talks like that and walks like that and dresses like that and acts in a way that um, that people respect, commands, respect, commands, confidence, professional assurance, that it was that sort of awe and professional kind of admiration. That was more the issue than, than any sort of fear, because at that time, my path to me was very linear, was very straightforward. I knew where I had to go, what I needed to do, or I thought I knew. I was. <laughs> yeah. Life, life has has a way of challenging even that, even what you think you want and whether you should have wanted that or something else. But at that point, things seemed very clear, and you know, I knew I had to work hard. I knew things wouldn't be easy, but you know, at least I knew my own goals and my own agenda. Also, again, so I thought so. I wasn't scared. I was just determined. You know, a little anxious, but in a, in a way that's fairly normal and expected. So what? at that at that time, it wasn't anything like that. I wasn't thinking about my books. I it's not that I left them behind, but I said, okay, I read all that stuff. It can inspire me as a person. But this is reality. Welcome. I'm finally get to do what I'm supposed to do. And this is how I translate my experience into into real life. I think sometimes when you're growing up, you have this thing that you want to do in your mindset. And sometimes it's self-manifested, maybe someone like yourself, or sometimes it's what your parents tell you, what, what makes sense. And then, it, yeah, mm -hmm. then you have this coming to Jesus moment where you're like, you ask the question, man, like, um, and you don't, and it, and sometimes it doesn't happen. The question doesn't happen until it's too late. If I get what I want, do I want what I get? <laughs> I grew up thinking I was going to be an accountant. Oh. <laughs> do you appreciate? That's, you know, I always ask myself whether anyone actually grows up dreaming of being an accountant, but I guess the answer is yes. <laughs> but who the hell? But who the hell is a kid wants to grow up? Think I mean, of all the things a kid wants to wants to say, I want to be this when I grow up. What? I was at Hunter for one semester because I took principles of accounting. <laughs> 
I never went back to class. <laughs> I didn't go back to class. You know, look, I did something fun later on in life. I, I auditioned for the theater program at Marymount. You know, I got, I got lucky, got good, got in. Did not know they were ranked number two in the country because that's a different pressure that if I knew, uh, um, like you, I'd be like, what the hell did I get myself into? <laughs> you know, so. So yeah, so I guess shaping that to the question, did it have something to do with um, getting what you want and then wanting what you get, what you have? So the thing is, I didn't really get what I want because things went badly quite quickly. And at the time, I was completely miserable about it. But later on, I realized that the entire time I was actually thinking too small. But that I also did not realize until much later, actually fairly recently. At the time, it seemed like the end of the world because as soon as I graduated, the, there was a major economic breakdown and all the jobs that were out there that I thought would be waiting for me were no longer available. I also ended up kind of getting backstabbed by one of my own professors who was a prosecutor in, of the Brooklyn DA. And I was, you know, I thought that I'd be going straight there. It wasn't like I was desperately trying to get into a big law firm i wanted it but you know i was okay in going a different path and going through the DA's office because it kind of it really appealed to me i thought i'd be very good at that that did not materialize at all and so all of a sudden i found myself with no prospects and when i was going for interviews people would tell me oh well you've got to be more confident. I said, confident in what? I'm 24 years old. I just finished law school. I've never worked a day in my life that wasn't an internship. So why yeah. am I supposed to get you that confidence from when all I have is academic theories? I don't have any practical working experience. What are you, and what are you asking of me? You know, and, there, and the market is very competitive and, you know, you are judging me on the basis of something that I cannot have by definition. So that was really uh, demoralizing for a long time. Eventually I got a job, but then uh, again, I was like, is this really what I'm supposed to do? Right. It didn't work out. So, but when I parted ways with my boss, I asked him, he said, well, you need to figure out what you're good at and go for that. And I asked, well, I have, you know, I'm a not, I'm a little bit biased and besides I'm you know new to the profession looking at me as an outsider what do you think I am good at that I should be you know focusing more on he said and he said you know it's too early to tell you too raw right and it's I like said, thanks okay, it's not <laughs> gee <really> thanks <laughs> you're the professor <laughs> right aren't you some aren't you the one that's supposed to yank out some critical thinking skills on me yeah <laughs> so. this was uh, you know somebody i was working mm. for and he couldn't even tell what i could potentially be good at you know after mm. worked for a few months so i was like okay now what right yeah wow and so I... no sorry continue sorry so yeah eventually the path that i thought was straightforward and simple and what i needed to do not only did it not work out but eventually i came to realize that it wasn't for me to begin with mm. it wasn't that i shouldn't have gotten the skills that i did but maybe i could apply them differently and mm. the things that i put aside the dreams that i had early on they somehow ended up bringing me to where i am today even though i never thought that it would be not only possible, but even something desirable to do because it was so far from from my reality. 
but here I am doing things that are that are crazy. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, you, you graduate law school and somehow um, that type of law and that practice of law has evolved into human rights, um, geopolitical and analytical stuff and this and that. And it's no wonder that you see your past that leads up to law school that leads to these conflicting forces of of what you what you want and what you're good at right because that's what life's all about life is life is about what you want versus what you're good at right i have friends that want to be an actor but i'm like dude you suck you can't be you know you know i'm sure my girlfriend wants to be a good singer but you don't want to hear her sing i right? you know um and at least you had a singular or bifocus that helped you. You know, there are some people who are all over the place. I just told you before the podcast all the things I've done. Mm -hmm. I worked in a cardiology practice for seven years, seventeen years. I was, a, I'm a, I'm, I was an NCAA coach. I'm, I was in the military. I, I played professional volleyball. Uh, um, you know, I, and my weakness was thinking that I can be all these things. If you're not careful, you end up being nothing. <laughs> You know, if you if you try to be everything, you 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 will eventually be, um, maybe not nothing, but come up short on being all those things. You know, because in your mind you're strong enough to believe that you can excel all those things at the same time. You know, you treat it like you treat it like walking and chewing gum, but it's not, and it's but it's not that simple. <laughs> I'll be honest with you. I thought that what suited me best was a conventional, practical legal career yes i right. could still accomplish great things but uh, it would have to be something very down to earth related to what most people are doing and most lawyers are in professions directly related to solving practical immediate problems for majority of people uh, let's just put it this way yeah, it's monetary and, gain sorry yeah it's yeah and not to say that what i can do what i am good at and what i am doing can't be lucrative but at the time certainly wasn't the most likely path to take and right. i was really very intent not you know on getting that conventional gig that i thought i was supposed to get mm -hmm. and i you know it wasn't so that i was dying with passion about it but i thought i'd be pretty good at it i start, that's what i was there in school for i intellectually it was appealing and you know it was really i felt that it could be uh, embodiment of all these things put together and I would even if I didn't particularly like something I would go to to be good at with practice over time I was very practical about it but the practical thing didn't work out the unlikely thing did so true so true like I moved from New York to California and I made a choice I had to be a volleyball coach or a theater performer uh, my, 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 when my boss retired, Dr. Rosenfeld, and they let go of the staff, I decided to just like stretch myself as far as I can with both of those. But when I moved here, California's academic, there's so many volleyball jobs out here and there's so many opportunities and, and, um, there is regret because I do miss performing and it's something I can still do now that I've actually planted my feet here. Um, but I'm good at it and I like it enough. <laughs> And I like it enough. I'm ingratiated, and 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 I'm sure you're ingratiated because I know human rights and um, and just basic fundamental rights for people to pursue life, you know, some sort of some form of autonomy and not and not be um and and not be killed. <laughs> you know, what I mean, so, right? You're like you you think you got a bad here. Some people just want to live. So the reason why I had you on the podcast is because I watched an episode of. 
you were reporting on some stuff that was going on in Qatar uh, during the World Cup. And and I was like, I have so much respect for this woman. And why is she the only one talking about this? Um, and then oh, there were, of course, some other journalists, because you have to be an independent journalist to talk about this. You can't be you can't be on a big channel and talk about this and actually keep your job. I mean, let's right. We're just being real here. Right. So so there was something about me that made that gave me this this not new respect because I didn't know you. I've never heard of you until this. But this profound respect that somebody who you know, who still has something to lose or gain because everyone thinks when you report on these, these things, you have an agenda and an agenda that goes beyond your own, um, your own unselfish uh, um, approach, you know, and that's, and, and that sucks that people think that way. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes you just want people to live, right? That's, that's a type of agenda, but that's not a selfish one. So um, because I've steered us both off the cliff, I'm, I need you to bring us back Tell us some of the things that were happening in, uh, labor-wise in Qatar, bringing everybody up to speed on what I was, what I'm talking about here. So let me, as a background, Qatar is an incredibly small but wealthy country. One, yeah. I would say, wealthiest in the world per capita. It's small. Yep. So you can't, you know, compare it to, for instance, U.S. economy or China. But yeah. it's uh, it's its actual native population is between 250 and 300,000 people. Yeah, but listen, but, before, before you continue, it's the reason why their volleyball team's good. They have a beach volleyball team that won the bronze medal, right? Uh, Sharif is from um, Senegal and um, Ahmed is from um, Gambia. So, they all their players. They yes, all their players but they can afford it. Yeah, and I had Sharif on the podcast too. He's a really cool guy, but but he he showed me the background, like where he was doing the video shoot, and I'm like, where is that Wakanda? <laughs> that looks like new technology, and but that, I I wanted to just throw that in because it had nothing to do with anything. But you said it's a rich country, not populated. That's where we are. The floor not is yours. Not populated. Yeah. Um. In 2008, it formed a gas cartel with Russia and Iran. Mm -hmm. And this cartel controls over 60% of natural gas in the world. And I don't think until the gas crisis, the energy crisis hit Europe this, the past couple of years that people had a real appreciation for, that, that actually, for what that actually means. Energy is everything. Right. In any case, it's a very tribal society. Uh, there are several tribes who control everything and the rest are heavily discriminated. And that's I'm just talking about the native population right now. Right. It's a police state. It's a more effective police state than Iran, precisely because it has a, a small homogenous population, not a diverse ethnically uh, and religiously diverse population like Iran, for instance, or China or Russia, for that matter. Um, it, it's small. It's a, um, And it has a couple million foreign workers, mostly from Southeast Asia, but also other countries who are essentially living in slave-like conditions. What you won't hear anybody tell you is that the American companies like Burger King actively participating in outright racist schemes. For instance, they have separate lines in Burger King and other things for whites, for Arabs, and for quote-unquote others. Yeah. And you can't even imagine something happening in this day and age like that in the United States, but this is an American company participating in this abroad and nobody says a word and you won't hear any boycott, you know, 
uh, calls from American activists because they don't even know that it's happening. Nobody talks about it. Yeah, I think there's a lot of uh, situations where if you want to find the truth about something, you follow the money, right? Mm -hmm. um, I mean, we, we, we can definitely get into Ukraine and, and, and the, the tons of money the United States has sent Ukraine to support them and at the same time ignore... Um, I guess, and, and as we speak, genocide happening in Yemen, right? But because Saudi, be, well, because I'll, because I'll, the Saudis I'll are, our, our, no, but because our Saudis, the Saudis are our allies, right? No, and because what's happening in Yemen? Do you want to hear what's actually happening in Yemen? I can tell you. No, like, you're the journalist. You tell issue. me. Human rights situation in Yemen is horrible, not because of the Saudis. Saudis were actually asked by the Yemen government, recognized internationally by the United Nations, mm -hmm. by literally everyone to assist in the war against a rebellion that was backed by Iranians. And that group of people, the Houthis, were radicalized. They were once Saudi allies in Yemen. Okay. Uh, but they were radicalized over time and they became arms smugglers going back decades. This is nothing new. It's been going on since the 90s. Iran yeah. has increased their level of support. They were smuggling weapons over borders and in the they were complaining of discrimination, and let's be honest with ourselves: the company was, the country was corrupt, and there were all sorts of discriminations against everybody, against women, against minorities. There were all sorts of issues, right? But this group of people did not just have legitimate grievances; they wanted to take full control of the of the country with Iran's assistance. So when they started a series of attacks against the legitimate government, and that later started that later turned into a civil war it was not just about getting equal rights or proportionate representation at the parliament it was about absolute power and this group of people is highly radical they are compared to isis or the level of mistreatment of everybody ranging from journalists to women to uh to to, to ethnic and religious uh religiously different populations under their control they use child soldiers horrific radicalized group the Houthis has um let the Houthis are a particular clan they're a family but they created a crony like structure somewhat like taliban in which people who follow them even if they're not from that family or even if they have a different religious inclination they get dips on humanitarian aid and things like that and medical aid in exchange for their support and they also become very good at intermarrying within different networks to kind of broaden the scope of control over everyone and they had control over academic institutions over everything they created a man-made famine mm -hmm. in a country that is that was never you know greatly developed but which certainly was not, you know, suffering from similar conditions. So this is the group that the Yemen government was facing and asked the Saudis to assist with. Huh. They didn't ask them to bomb randomly the entire country. Obviously, why? It's their country. They want control there. They asked them to assist with putting down a rebellion by a foreign-funded group of radicals. So you're basically saying the Saudis were like, sure, we'll do it. This one's on the arm. Uh, yeah, for many reasons. First, prim the primary being their own self-interest. 
which is the fact that the primary goal of Iran in all of this was not Yemen. They couldn't care about either the Houthis or everybody else. They no. didn't value Yemeni lives. Their goal was to get to Saudi Arabia through the border with Yemen, which exactly, which is exactly what they did. Why Saudi Arabia? Religious dogma. Right. Essentially, Saudi Arabia is considered the custodian of the two holy mosques and the uh, and the place that is holy to Muslims of all backgrounds around the world. Iran, uh, which went through the Islamic Revolution in 1979, believes in its own religious primacy. Yeah. And its goal is to export that revolution everywhere around the world and to gain control of the two holy mosques and displace the Saudi Arabia as religious leader. But they cannot do that easily for fairly obvious reasons, which is namely that they're not recognized by anyone in that capacity. And um, hmm. so they started playing games. They identified a group of so-called Hashemites, the descendants of the Prophet uh, Muhammad in Yemen, uh, and Houthis <clears throat> claimed to have descent uh, from there, and they started supporting them. So this is religious as much as it is geopolitical, even though the goal ultimately is power. It's money and power. It's it's really it's it's money and power disguised as a religion. Let's just call it, it what it is. Exactly. Now, don't get <clears> me wrong. The Houthis fully, you know, believe in all this stuff, even though their actual roots are in Iran originally and not in Saudi Arabia, where Prophet the Prophet Muhammad originated. No, but for but, but for but food. but don't you believe that for it to happen? that you have to have enough people that that in their religion that, that have to be radical that's... enough to believe that you don't think we had that in america when we invaded iraq you don't think george bush said god god told me to do this right and, and you don't think uh, you don't to think be honest with you, george bush fell for very poor oh he did he fell for cheney for for for, for intelligence because nothing to do with the religious it's just bad intelligence honestly but these guys they are fully <clears throat> radicalized they actually believe what they claim iran manipulates them but the cookies actually do believe what they claim but the believe. thing but the point i'm trying to make is intelligence notwithstanding money and power <clears throat> the weaponization is religion it's not the yeah. it's not the cause it's the yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. it's, yeah. it's oh, not absolutely. the match it's not the match that lights the barbecue grill it's the grill it's the grill it's it's the fire that keeps it going <laughs> there's a lot of corruption <clears throat> in both places both in yemen and in iran yeah but oh, for that matter in saudi arabia but mm -hmm. the people that do actually believe that at the same time so yes they want power they're using all of this to get power but right. they actually also happen to believe this dogma they actually right. really do believe that they do I, not just you know they don't just pretend to do it just to get power mm -hmm. they are really that radical they honestly do actually <laughs> believe that this is the path to a better future even as they are corrupt and right. are not, you know a lot of the ones in power do not according act according to the principles they still actually believe that that's that's an important key point that many western analysts are missing they think oh well they're just using religion just like our you know pastors use mega churches to to get money but these guys actually believe this at the same time even even despite yeah. being, <clears throat> they actually fully uh, believe this and well they, irena these, these wars are not based on false dichotomies right you're either for money or for a religion. That's a false dichotomy. Those that's narrowing the argument down to only two choices, and that's not. And neither one's true. It could be neither, or it could be both. And the argument I was making is, um, the handful of people 
who who are 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 who, it's not who, a handful. That's the problem. No, the, the people who profit from this. I'm talking about. I'm Even talking the about people who profit. Oh, so let me explain something. I please think go another, ahead. Another issue that people falsely believe. So in Yemen, yes, the number of people benefiting from it is relatively small, but not that small. Because remember, as I said, cookies are one family, mm -hmm. but they've got cronies that they're trying to expand. So they still have to share all that stuff. Right. In Iran, in how, Iran. How much are we talking about, though, as far as sharing, though? I mean, you would, it's still thousands of people. It's I know. Not like yeah, it's still, it's not, you know, and the country is millions. It's about 40 million people altogether. Mm -hmm. So, so it's still, you know, you still will have tens of thousands of people in leadership, relatively speaking. It's not five people. It's not, you know, a hundred people. You would have to, though, right? To, yeah, to, so to keep everybody part, happy, you'd have to. But in Iran, people forget <clears throat> something. They think, okay, it's a bunch of ayatollahs at the top who are, who make the call and therefore the only ones that benefit. Yes and no. Yes, in terms of who has the power, political power, the supreme leader, the supreme guide, he is the one with the ultimate absolute, basic, or near absolute power, and everyone else politically benefits. Financially, it's very different because financially, the entire Iranian bureaucracy depends on all of this. From the lowest ranking, you know, uh, teach, school teachers to, you know, so. A lot more people are complicit in Iran than people like to give credit to, to into this power structure. Because the bureaucracy there is very significant. Most people work for the state and benefit from the state in some financial way. They may not have political say or influence, but they benefit financially from the structure and from this entire enterprise. Right. So when people think, well, the regime is going to fall next year or in five years from now, or whatever. No, it's not. Unless you come up with a different structure for sharing this money, people still need to make a living. So it's yes, it's very easy to say, oh, well, it's just a bunch of power hungry fanatics at the time. And if only we get rid of them, then it's going to be fine. No, the reality is this idea and this structure, this political structure has been exported downwards. And a lot of people who may not be satisfied with the way power is shared or money is shared, nevertheless are not against the structure in principle they just don't like the people who are in charge because they're corrupt and power hungry and right. they don't share and they don't share well but they still benefit the very same people who are calling for the resignation of the ayatollahs are not leaving their jobs they're not mm. saying i will not participate in the scheme right i will walk away and make sure that the entire structure collapses right now and all of it is gone so you we have to be careful when we talk about power for whom it's not as simple as saying the leaders of the country are making a choice on behalf of the entire population yes they are making a political choice but at the same time the people are still buying into by supporting and being part of the bureaucracy right it is it is this is complex but let me simplify it for you and the audience at home i'll talk more my, my wheelhouse the american wheelhouse george bush goes up to dick cheney and he says dick how sure are you that they have weapons of mass destruction. And and Richard Cheney, along with Colin Powell, says, Mr. President, 100% sure. Which is why you and I, we don't really put that on Bush. We, we put that on the intelligence, or should we say lack thereof. So mm -hmm. this, is, this is something that's complex. It's only complex to accept it. It's easy, to, like you said, it's easy to say it. 
<laughs> but it's complex to accept it. And as, oh, and as coincidence would have it, he's the president of Halliburton that has a no-compete contract clause as far as military supplies. $23,000 for a toilet seat. <laughs> $18,000 for a hammer. He's the president. Dick Cheney is the president of Halliburton which supplies the military war and supplied the military war in Iraq in a no compete contract clause. So George is inspired by God. <laughs> He's, his intelligence guy is inspired by money. So I'm not trying to say it's only inspired by money. And I don't think you're trying to say it's only inspired by religion. I think what we're both trying to say is both of them d deserve the uh, amount of attention it deserves in that situation and what you're talking exactly. about religion as and and you just you just educated me on this religion has a huge 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 uh radical uh, um play in what's going on in yemen and this and that look we're in new york we're, we live in new york how many people do you know that are from yemen more than more than most people that have met in their lives I lived in Harlem for 10 years. I know a lot of people from Yemen, more than some most Americans will ever meet their entire lives. So I, I value your opinion because of this is your wheelhouse. This is your experience. And you know what the hell you're talking about. So thank you for the education on that, because I didn't so, know that. So the genocide there, it, there's a horrific, horrific human rights crimes are happening. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, the goal there is not really Yemen. The goal is Saudi Arabia. And that is why Saudis the coalition not because they were so interested in yemen although i have to say they dumped over 20 billion dollars of humanitarian aid into yemen which is nothing to the saudis that is that's me going to the arcade in coney island and and playing no, and but playing if you video look at games it at a very poor country it's a huge amount of money because yemen is an extremely poor uh, right. uh country and that amount of money should and would have gone to 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 do a lot had the conditions there been not what they are. Are you aware well, that that's less money than the Saudis offered to the Americans to 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 help fight their war in Yemen? Do you, are you correct, aware? Are you aware that they are you aware that they offered Donald Trump two billion dollars to send two battalions, American battalions, in Yemen? And if Yemen fires back at us, that's an act of war. So, so Saudi, look, there are no good guys in this equation. Saudi enlisted an unfair fight in this one. I, th I think, I think saying good guys or bad guys is not really applicable when it comes to no people just making choices about their own self-defense. Right, gotcha. The bad guys are the people who attack, who are engaging in an act of aggression and who are starting wars. Everybody else defends themselves and you can say, well, maybe they should be doing more or they should be doing it differently, but they are not once engaging initiating acts of aggression against other countries or legitimately elected governments you can right. say the yemen government should be reformed and they are actually going through very serious reforms uh, right now in the process of it and it's been a very long path you could say saudis should be maybe they should be giving more money or should be doing things differently but you cannot say that they don't have a legitimate stake in their own self-defense in defense of their borders right. or in assisting a neighboring country in defense against a foreign-funded aggressor i think that's legitimate and iran has no legitimate reason to fund rebels in another country there's right. no security concern to their own well-being from yemen so would you that say this is more about iran and the saudis than than the Saudis in Yemen because Correct. Saudis the exactly. Saudis don't yes. look Yemen doesn't present a clear and present danger to Saudi Arabia let's be real okay uh, there's Yemen only a hand there's only a handful of countries there's only a handful of countries that present a clear and present danger to the Saudis and I ran and I guess I ran qualifies as one of them
Yes, exactly. And Iran, what Iran has done is, and it's smart. I'm not going to say it's stupid. You, no. could, you could say it's evil, but it's stupid. They've trained a network of proxies in different countries, Hezbollah in Lebanon, in Lebanon various militias in Iraq, militias in Syria and even in Africa and Houthis in Yemen to modeled after the IRGC, after their own battalions, the guards of the revolution. They've been Hezbollah has been trained by RGC and in turn has trained Houthis and others. They're they they mutually benefit this entire network and they are becoming more sophisticated and interchangeable. So Iran can use populations in from Afghanistan, from Pakistan, from Iraq, from Lebanon for its own internal security quote-unquote security issues to put down a rebellion, for instance, or it could use them in other countries. So when we're talking Yemen and danger to Saudis, we're not talking Yemen as a country, because Yemen as a government is an ally of Saudi Arabia. We are talking about Houthis who have been weaponized and who are working with Hezbollah and with Iranian advisors mm -hmm. and who are, for all intents and purposes, a paramilitary force operating illegitimately on a sovereign territory, you know, and firing weapons at Saudi Arabia, at UAE, at ships, Amer you know, uh, that are at, at vessels, trade uh, that are bringing oil around the region, which could be from any country, really, because there are many foreign vessels transferring oil and gas in, in the region. And and attacking Saudi borders with mines, with uh, with missiles that they get from Iran and so forth. So what we are talking about is not Yemen presenting a, a danger to Saudi Arabia. Right. Only as a geographical entity, not as a political entity. As a political entity, Yemen, the government of Yemen is an ally. It's the Houthis specifically armed by Iran, and not just Houthis, but Hezbollah and anybody who is in that network who presents the danger to Saudi security, to borders, to their oil deposits, and to their uh, and, and to civilians as well. They've attacked civilian uh, civilians, and nobody ever reports about that. They've actually attacked civil, specifically civilian sites in Saudi Arabia, not just oil. I mean, well, dude, people are getting stoned to death in Saudi Arabia too. So I mean, there, there, there's, not, always, there's always well, civilians. No, there's that's always civilians. also not true. Well, there's there, no, there's a, vid, a, a a legit video of it happening. So that is true. That, that's that's actually no happened. well uh, listen they it used to happen it is correct it used to happen and there are groups there that are radical just as there are groups in you know all over the region that are radical the government mm -hmm. has put an end to some of these things they have beheading they have death penalty we also have death penalty it's not beheading but to be honest i actually think that the beheading is better method than the lethal injection not that i particularly like i don't particularly like lethal injection for for various reasons, but in any case, they do have death penalty for various crimes, but they have significantly reformed their legal system. It's still not perfect, far from perfect. There's a lot of room for changes, obviously, I'm not going to pretend. But these videos that you're seeing, ISIS-like videos, mm -hmm. nothing official from the government from, for a long time. They uh, really have reformed a lot. Uh, okay, first of all, I'm not the type of person that will use my American exceptionalism to 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 dictate to other countries what their their mm -hmm. democracy is supposed to look like, right? Uh, um, we we have freedom of speech here. I'm a freedom after the speech. I don't even know. We can, that's a whole other conversation in America. <laughs> okay. Um, 
freedom of speech in Ukraine, freedom of speech in Saudi Arabia, freedom of speech in Russia, freedom of speech in China. It's different. You, there's certain things you can't say you're going to go to jail. Um, I personally don't think that they should, but it's not, it is not my place and my, my American arrogance and my American exceptionalism to dictate um, what, you, what, you, what you may perceive um, as improvements on, on, their, on their justice system and on their legal system. Um, I can only use my, my Brooklyn common sense, look at my own two eyes and call it for what it is. You know, you know what I'm saying? Like, for, for example, I'm a go- I'll give you an example. Let me interrupt. Hold on, let me interrupt. I'm, I'm a go for vet, all right? I served, I served uh, during the first Desert Storm. Spent my entire tour overseas, Darmstadt, Germany. Went to Kuwait, uh, Frankfurt, Germany. Went to Italy on some hush-hush operation with the Italian army. Uh, time of my life. on. I, I mean, honestly, two to three years, time of my life. It was just a lot of fun just traveling. It, 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 it was, it, the army was fun. We, um, Iraq invades Kuwait. And, mm-hmm. and, and in American media, we look like a bunch of good guys rescuing Kuwait, right? Now, Common sense would ask you, why did Iraq do that, right? And and some of the big lies is, oh, because they're evil. Saddam's an evil dictator, which is also true. So it's easy to believe because he's an evil dictator. That's why I invaded Iraq. When, when you find out the truth, the truth is we were diagonal drilling. Do you know what diagonal drilling is? Diagonal drilling is when we have property in oil in Kuwait and we are taking our drills and straight down and going this direction into Iraq which caused Saddam to invade. So that's that's what actually happened. I mean, this is these are things you don't find out till years later. So it is my function uh, to to take things that I don't know about and consistently ask common sense questions of what makes sense. We could talk about the Chinese balloon too. What made sense? You know, um but I wanted you to finish your thought cuz you were you were holding a thought and Yes. So and... basically I'm not, you know, as a human rights lawyer, I obviously mm-hmm. care about due process very very much. Right. So my my issue is not with death penalty in general. It is with due process and this is where yes. I think Saudis have a long a lot of room to go. Mm-hmm. I'm being honest with you. Yep. But let's not mix legitimate issues that should be criticized, should be discussed, should receive assistance and training from U.S. institutions which have the know-how how to reform properly, should be a subject of discussion and dialogue and reform with issues that are either, you know, are being actively cracked down on by the government and genuinely changed. Right. Because then we'll never get anywhere. We should not... You know, we should have the most updated and accurate information. If I, if something is changing for the better, it doesn't mean ignoring something that hasn't changed. But we should acknowledge it and focus our efforts on things that require additional work. That's basically I have a very practical outlook on that. So a lot of people, it's, you know, it's what I, makes you good at what you do, man. You're good, dude. You're good at what you do. Yeah, I'm not I, going to say that you know Saudi Arabia, Switzerland. It's not. <laughs> <laughs> Switzerland's you know, not even not, Switzerland. But, but I'm also going to say it is moving on certain things in positive direction. Whereas, for instance, the same Iran is moving on the same issues in the opposite direction. So right. you can actually measure those things. It's a practical reality, and you can say yes, they're not ideal. This is what they needs to happen for me to be you know as a human rights to be happy with that but let's acknowledge that this is what they're changing and let's not allow right. this information and propaganda get in the way of 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 actually going after real issues and not being distracted by things that are non-issues that's right that's basically I, how i look at it and that's the challenge isn't it look uh, monetary so, yeah. gain 
and this this I might I could have just said this one line and we could we could have just turned off the podcast. Monetary gain is dictated by the straw man fallacy. I'll say that again for everybody listening and then I'll translate in regular English. Monetary gain is dictated by the straw man fallacy. If you're trying to make money, you have to look for and and of looking for someone's worst moment. They could do 19 things right and one thing wrong. But you know that one thing wrong is going to stir up something where you can weaponize things around you where where again this elite few who who got coverage who have you know who have bunkers for nuclear in case there's a nuclear attack who have um who have armed guards in case they decide to ban all guns who decide who can get an abortion if if um if they ban abortion <laughs> you know what i'm saying there's there's a small group mm-hmm. of people that are dictating rules that they themselves won't follow you you know but it's it, it's i strongly believe that like you said, in order for us to be a more perfect union, perfect society, perfect world, we do need to think glass half full and take some of these things. Hey, look, okay, this is a problem, but let's get together on this. You know, let's get together on this. Do you see, can you see the American um, uh, 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 conflicting forces? Can you see in, in our own politics, it's like, I, I want to pass this bill for same-sex marriage, mm-hmm. but but I, in the same bill, we have to put this on gun reform, do that, and we're good. Oh, good. That happens you know all what I'm the saying? time, absolutely yeah. everything, and it's driving but, me nuts. But, but that's what I'm saying. As a lawyer, you must be like, <laughs> I'm racking my brains up. No, but that's why this conversation is super necessary, because mm-hmm. we, I already, I, I, inflect, I inferred to the negative when I said there are no good guys in this equation, and you inferred to, hey, look, this happened. That's a good thing. That's also happening. That's a good thing. Yemen, you know, not not the victims here, but also some good things happening. And this is, I just think, honestly, I just think I just I need to have you back on the podcast two or three more times and just I would love to. make the I would make love the to world make the world a know, better place. Huh? I I think we could do a lot more with real conversations face to face like this yeah. than just like media's turning out propaganda that half of them don't even know themselves i'm right. sorry but journalists don't go to all these places they don't talk to real people from the communities or they talk to their favorite voices that are most ideological aligned with what they already want to hear right so yeah. on any topic it's not just human literally anything you'll see that that's how just how it works which is why i have a problem with that but having real conversation you start hearing and learning new things i learn all the time mm-hmm I think I also think it's very, very important because you have experience to, um, I don't know, to avoid uh, agendas based on bias, based on personal experience. Right. Like I grew up like I'm 52. I grew up hating Russia, you know, communism. Mm-hmm. Why would they keep their people behind walls and this and that? And, and, you know, and they hate us, too. You know, and it's one of those things where if you hate a people instead of an ideal, it's exactly. very, it's very, Bingo. very, it's very, very easy people. to go to war uh, against people if you hate the people. And now me, let me tell you what I'm thinking. Somewhere on the other side of the country, there's a, there's a, there's a guy in Russia driving a bus, bus driver, take care of his family. There's a, there's a school teacher. They're not into this gangster shit. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? They're not into this politics or whatever. Well, I'm supposed to hate that person because no, of, of Putin. I'm supposed to hate. But you know what I'm saying? Uh, uh, somewhere in Ukraine, right? You know, and and that and what's going on there? You know, I mean, I don't care what side of the aisle you are. There's no real justification to 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 delve that deep from one country into the other. There's some, but not that much. Um, somewhere in the other side of the world, 
this no matter if you're on the other side of ukraine or this or that there's a kid who's just just who just wants to read adventure books fantasy books they're not into politics they're not into hating americans they're not into hating the american way of life and and i think the more people have conversations about human beings the less inclined we are to be like i hate yemen i hate the saudis they hate us let let's you know these this small group of people are going to be like my gang's going to beat your gang and that's and as someone who served this country who's a veteran, okay? My father before me, Vietnam vet. My father's before me, Korean War, uh, World War II, my great-grandfather, World War I. I'm not having it. <laughs> I'm not having it. I do not want us to do that. Sorry. But here, here's the thing. I agree with you in principle, absolutely, 100%. What else is there? But but here's the difference between what's happening here and in and, and what's in theory, you know, what's the reality in the theory. The reality is we live in a country where we can have that face-to-face -face conversation and we can disagree with each other and we can talk about Russia, Ukraine, Yemen, China, any part of the world with no problem and exchange ideas, exchange opinions. Yeah. But not everywhere it's the case. In Russia, it's not the case. In Russia, you cannot freely have that conversation. The people who no. do, and there are such people, they end up being shut down at the very least. Yeah. Their news stations get shut down. Or they get arrested. Some of them have gone to prison for expressing their ideas against the war. Yeah. Just remember, remember the we war, were talking about. But remember we were talking about freedom after the speech. <laughs> That's yes, what you're exactly. talking about. <laughs> no, unfortunately, and this is a country also that spent decades on building up anti-Western propaganda, anti-Ukraine propaganda, where where you turn on the TV in Russian, and I listen to it all the time for my own edification, and there are people calling for genocide. Not even for winning the war, not even for taking control of certain territories. Yeah, win winning's not enough for them. Yeah, right, I know. It's not even, it's not, they're not calling. Let's take control of this aspect. Let's negotiate, let's get, this is, this is not rational discourse. Right. And when you, when you shut down access to alternative information and then you brainwash people day and night in schools from, childhood on tv in all soft power institutions in the media and all you hear all day long is a pack of lies about what's going on the popular perception also shifts you start yep. thinking that's how genocides happen that's how war you know massacres happen that's how you know rwanda happened that's how srebrenica happened mm -hmm. the holocaust regular people are starting to buy into the rhetoric that is being sold to them not because there's they are born stupid or evil but because that's all they hear all day night all yeah. day long everywhere they look on the internet websites are shut down every channel every movie has some reference to something this gets to you no matter how open-minded you are and if you're not that open-minded if mm -hmm. you already have preconceptions or if you're young and impressionable and you don't really haven't had a chance to travel abroad or you don't get to a chance to talk to people who are not in your immediate um reality it's very easy to fall for something that's being sold to you as patriotic as heroic as you know if you're a teenager you tend to think in extremes all of us do and that changes over time it's you become very prone to us versus them you don't think about other teenagers who may not want something you think these people are planning an attack on russia that's how it's being sold like yeah, there was it a really is conspiracy to attack russia even yep. though there's zero evidence 
they are going to say Americans have been planning this for years. Americans are, you know, uh, have placed Zelensky in power, even though, uh, you know, the way he came to power was actually totally random and had, you know, U.S. probably I mean, would not have supported something. Do, I mean, like do they still have political parties there, though? Yes, they Come do, on. actually. Very diverse what? ones. Did, did they not get rid of their political parties, Irina? They got rid of a political party that was actively giving money and intelligence to Russia during the war. And we would have literally that's not what you're going to hear anywhere okay. in English. But that's but I actually have fact checked that and verified it with uh, American journalists and with others from various groups and took a look at what those people actually have said, looked at their accounts online myself. I don't tend to listen to what people say because there's a lot of no, information no, out there. No, you're, you're, no you're doing but investigative I, journalism. Please, go ahead. But I actually was critical of Zelensky for not taking action against some of these people early. And now I understand why he was waiting for them to actually have a smoking gun of actually doing something completely inappropriate by anyone's standards, which is funding the enemy during the war. People like that would have been arrested here, not just merely shut down, they would have been in prison. It's true. It's, even it's even, even in a country this free. <laughs> You're right. No, but me... if, if we arrest spies, we arrest foreign spies who, pro, who sell uh, who sell technology, who steal technology, who steal, uh, and it's the same there. If we have a political, you know, an official who is selling state secrets to China or to Russia, that person is going to get arrested. Sure, and and I think that applies to every country, including a country as free as this. Now, look, mm -hmm. my American exceptionalism um, allows people to again say just distinguish who's your enemy and who's your peers right to put it in a more simplified form my wheelhouse volleyball there are certain volleyball countries that don't want russia to be in the olympics mm -hmm. and i'm like i'm like and some of them i'm like you do know uh vladimir koshenikov is your friend right you know you guys are friends you know you guys went drinking and sang karaoke together you know stoyanovsky is your friend you know kolomino is your friend you know and you know uh why why sh these people are not soldiers medvedev was asked by wimbledon to denounce putin to, to and to be able to participate in wimbledon and um and just like you said he can't do that you think there's free speech you think there's free you, he could we could do that in america all we want kyrie irving could say whatever we want kanye west could say whatever he wants um, um beyond government persecution never mind social persecution but i'm like you can't expect these people to have to have free speech and and even if they felt differently they can't say it and and okay. I, that's no but hold on a second the what i'm trying to say is we have to distinguish human beings from from gangsters kolomina stoyanovsky medvedev these are not gangsters these are these are people that that have competed their whole life to wait for this one moment you, well, what are they collateral damage are they collateral damage you know too bad I for them tough shit it's not so here's what I think should be done, in my personal opinion. Please. And this, well, this is what happened to one Iranian athlete. He obviously was being forced to compete under Iranian slogan. In Iran was committing all these other horrible human rights abuses against its own people, not just against other neighboring countries. This guy eventually defected. And he, after a long process, basically, the countries that took him in, he went to Mongolia or Malaysia first and then to Germany, I think. In any case, he was given a chance to compete 
for those countries. So yes, human beings shouldn't be banned from competing just because they're human beings. They should be given opportunities to go someplace else and compete there, but sh they should not also be, they should have that option. But at the same time, I understand why giving an opportunity for a state that is committing crimes against its own people as well as it's against others. And Russia is not just, you know, attacking Ukraine. It's also putting its own people in prison when they criticize the government. Why should it be giving, getting what? You don't think Ukraine's doing that? You don't think Ukraine's doing that? <laughs> if they're not, not for mere criticism of government. For, for funding Russians, for giving intelligence during war, yes, absolutely. But again, that would be the case anywhere in the world. Not for mere criti critique of strategy or something like that. No. Do you see what I'm saying when I say there are no good guys in this equation? We invaded the, we invaded the country. We invaded the country. Be on, on the premise of weapons of mass destruction. That's 2002, 2003. 2004 comes. The Olympics are in Athens. We're good. All of our teams get to go. Right. We just we just we just I mean, that that cost the lives of thousands of thousands of, of, of Iraqis and Americans. And there we are in the Olympics. And now we we as the media have the nerve, the unmitigated gall to talk about Russia shouldn't do this. Russia shouldn't do that. Separate yeah, the soldiers. Right. Se but you, but you know why I'm the United about. No, but do you know why the United States was able to participate in the Olympics? Because those people weren't soldiers. Those people weren't didn't don't share their political ideologies. I am a I am not a nationalist. I am a patriot. I wave my flag if Trump is the president. I wave my flag if Barack Obama is the president. And and somehow some way I spit and swallow and still wave my flag my flag when Biden's president. Okay, because I don't even think that guy remember who he ran against with respect to him. And I'm glad I'm in a country where I don't get arrested for saying that. Right? Yeah, uh, I can't why? Believe it. Because <laughs> I am a person that has different ideologies from the people in whom in whom my leaders are. But that's why I said that that I think these athletes should be given an opportunity to participate, just not for the country that is actively currently engaged in an invasion that is not based on mistaken intelligence or by a few people. So that in 2004, we should have been called the United States of North America then, right? We shouldn't have, we shouldn't have represented the USA. That's what you're saying. Did we did we actually conspire to commit human rights violations 100 there were no weapons no, of mass I, I disagree with that i think the people who were engaged in uh, in human rights violations were put on trial they were not given medals like they are in russia Cha dick cheney got a medal what do you dick cheney got a medal <laughs> george bush got a medal of freedom they got not they... The, not, not but not the soldiers in abu Ghraib. those people were put on trial and as they well should have Good. been yeah in russia that's not going to happen in Russia, they are not only, they're not merely accidentally having people who quote unquote misbehave, they're right. encouraging abuses actively. We were not encouraging abuses. We may have had a mistaken foreign policy, tragic one, terrible one, and maybe people should be held that accountable. Irina, that, that wasn't a mistake. That was a lie. You know what a lie is? All right, I have a pretty low standard for a lie. Now, if you're, if, I, if I give you information and you share that with information and that information is wrong, I would never consider you a liar because you were echoing the sentiments of something you thought was true. This man knew there were no weapons of mass destruction and he lied to the president and got us into a war and did not face trial. I'm, I, I don't mean to keep deflecting back to something that happened 20 years ago. I'm just giving an example of something where... By your own admission, we shouldn't just be looking for people's worst moments. We should be looking for for glass half full, which applies to every country, not just the okay, countries, not just the countries who we, who we just want to jump on the side for political gain.
fine. You you want to talk about one person who misled many others? Fine. Let's do that. But in Russia, Led that's to not deaths. the case. Thousands of deaths. Hundreds of thousands of deaths. Sorry, sorry to interrupt, but 20, $27 again, billion dollars a month we spent on that Do you say that war. the military who went there, not who was being misled, were they actively trying to commit human rights crimes? No. They were acting because they, based on that lie. Well, we, Russia, we, we did torture some folks. Uh, in, in Russia, you have people who are actively engaged in rapes, and there are recordings of these soldiers admitting to actually fully buying into it, willingly, complicitly, not because they're merely acting on, on orders, but because they actively are trying to commit crimes, not just, you know, mistakenly killing somebody under false impression that the war has one aim, whereas it has another. They're yes. talking about people actively engaged in human rights abuses and crimes against humanity that are separately planned aside from whatever military agenda whether you agree with it or disagree and in Not no and, in, and irena in no war no no war in the last 30 years are you not going to find that i'm not saying russia's no, right but, i'm just but, saying i'm just but, saying but if you if you want to look for they put these people on trial for abuses and they go to prison in yeah. russia it's not it's encouraged and considered heroic and that's how you get these massacres that are not mere isolated incidents but patterns of bad behavior and that's that a very good point i'm talking about and that's why i'm saying that under the russian flag when you have athletes representing the country that is now actively engaged in that you know i feel bad for the individual actors and that's why i'm saying if they don't these if these athletes do not want to still compete and not represent the country that is engaged in that they should be given that opportunity absolutely but if if in theory they are given that that opportunity but still but in i openly engaged in propaganda on behalf of kremlin if they don't just compete and keep their mouth shut and they have no choice but if they are actively complicit as some people have been I'm not saying a specific way no. because I don't know. I'm not no, I'm just talking. saying, what I'm saying is you can, in a war, you can find someone's worst moment. And in this information age where everyone has a cell phone, of course, <laughs> you're going to find someone's worst moment. We have tortured people, all right, and, and without trial. In our own country, we, we have men of color who are, who are unarmed that are getting shot in the back, that get cleared, that have pretend trials. Well, you know, but, but but everyone knows nothing's gonna happen. So I mean, what what are we doing to our own people that we're gonna happen? sit there and you talk about not, Russia? George Floyd's killer ended up in going to prison for a long time. The, oh, that's we got okay. We got our one guy. What what about no, many incidents? You can give many yeah. incidents. Am I well, we're from New York. We remember Garner, right? You remember Garner? We're both from Brooklyn. We remember um Garner. Uh, that guy got that guy lost his job he didn't go to jail but that guy lost his job i'm just talking about the we're agreeing on a culture like uh look, uh look, to, like I, a bunch I, of people who don't see someone as a human being we're, i don't i disagree with you listen yes we will have individual instances of injustice unfortunately it will happen anywhere those, or, these aren't individual though when garner got choked there were five cops on that scene you know what they did irena they watched that's not an individual thing. That's a collective cover-up. And, and they watched because they didn't see a human being. They saw a piece of crap. Very much like what you're saying about Russia. These, these rapes that the Russians are doing and, and this maiming and stuff, because they trained the, the, the soldiers' minds to not see a human being. And that's war. No, but that's domestic. How do you how are you not gonna, how do you expect not to see that in the war? If you if you see that if you can see that domestically. 
No, because uh, absolutely. First of all, let's talk about the police for a second. Absolutely, where we have instances of police abuse, abuse the, the individuals should be held accountable, go to prison, lose their jobs, the department should be reformed, and you need to, and the entire police force should be retrained. I've never argued anything otherwise. No, never you're, will. No, you're you're consistent with your um humanity. Um, um no, Absolutely. of course. But when you have a clear incident of state level incitement right to put violence and by violence I, again i don't mean pure military objectives of no gunning, no gunning you're talking you're talking some heavy stuff yeah i am talking about deliberate mass destruction of civilian infrastructure tar targeted not accidental i'm not going to call people account you know accountable for, for we all know that accidents happen by anybody but i'm talking about deliberate targeted civilian infrastructure that's state level order that people are choosing to not disobey right this is not somebody acting out in a moment we are talking about people bragging about committing abuses against civilians not just merely putting down a lot of enemies in uniform and i'm not going to say anything about that whatever it's distasteful you can say whatever you want but if you believe in your country's position you're going to do that we're talking about bragging about it getting commendations from your government for for exactly that and encouraging people and dehumanizing civilians actively and not being punished for that and not and that being modus operandi and not merely a happenstance of somebody going against their you know against their uniform our no, military I... you know as a state does not encourage people to commit mass you know mass war crimes and attacking civilians yes it happens unfortunately but to the it doesn't make it right that's the big difference it doesn't make it right about. and it should it's, not be condoned and, uh, and celebrated uh, uh th that's no, your argument it, yeah not only should it be not condoned and celebrated it's more than just condoned and celebrated it's structured the way for the entire world to be fought precisely in that way Okay. In part because the military is weak and cannot meet its military objectives otherwise, and in and because it's also the values of the ideologues behind that war that are being translated on a mass level through propaganda, through indoctrination, and through appealing to the worst human instincts, and a lot of people unfortunately going along with that. That is a problem. It's a systemic problem. If Just you... like if you have you know, if you get one guy somewhere doing something wrong in the police force, you can't, you hold that one guy accountable. But if you see the entire police force in that district being in on it and covering up, then you hold the entire police force accountable, not just one guy who committed the crime. It's worse That's here. It's worse here because the trial is, a, is not is not a real trial. You, you in the United States in Wall Street and finance and in, 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 in law enforcement, they'll throw a man, one or two guys you know, to the mob for, for uh, you know, to, to, to quell whatever, right? Let, they'll throw Jelaine Maxwell in jail and, and leave everybody off the, and, and, and the Epstein list stays stay safe, right? Wall Street, you, they could bankrupt everybody and they could arrest and, and have Madoff as your guy. So the United States is good at having their guy. They're going to throw to whatever. George Floyd, too big for these, these, these cops who, by the way, that cop had 19 complaints of police brutality before. Everyone's talking about George Floyd's past record and no one talks about the cop's past record. Now, getting back to what you're saying. I brought it up actually myself. Yeah. And I said that the guy was a bad cop. Why wasn't he previously held accountable? Why was, why was he on the force? Why, and yeah. but, yes, we have corruption. I'm not, I'm never claimed that we are a perfect country, that we don't have corruption, but we have a system that even when you have corruption, 
you could still fight that corruption but the, without, but, but, you know, but, without but, being murdered, without being arrested. Right, but with this your argument, this, but this man got promoted. This man got promoted. <laughs> he didn't get snubbed. Uh, it took 18 complaints and a death <laughs> for that to happen. So we can't say that there's some kind of fair. I mean, there is a system and, and you're a lawyer. So you, you I will and always I will always defer to you as uh, as far as educating me on how the system works. I am uh, I will know my level. I will know my role because you are the expert in that. And I will always punt in football. I always punt the ball back to you and you have offense because you, you, look, you're always going to know what you're talking about more than me on that. Look, look, mm -hmm. I'm never going to argue that the U S has no corruptions or problems that needs to be fixed or no. investigated. No, and or I'm not, and I'm, 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 I'm not arguing false dichotomies either. I'm never going to say that, but I'm not arguing false dichotomies. I'm but, not, but I'm not saying it's either one or the other. I don't believe that the level that you can possibly compare the level of absolute corruption and dehumanization no. in Russia with what's happening in the US. You know what? I I'm sorry to say, yes, there's a lot of indoctrination here for various things. There's a lot of, you know, uh, disinformation on the internet, in institutions from all sides. Right. But I do not see the same level of active encouragement of human rights abuses and dehumanization even on, even at the worst moments that i'm highly critical of on a daily basis compared to something like russia or street level of absolute racism indigenous to this people are trying to instigate it don't get me wrong but Always, even yeah. these efforts to instigate this you know racist outlook even still even at this worst moment that i really I'm not happy about you can't compare it no. to what is happening you cannot compare that to the level of dehumanization active calls for genocide for 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 not even recognizing ukraine as a as a real country got you you cannot see that happening i don't see, that is not happening Insane. here you, yeah you have people who are ignorant you have people who are you know have wrong information about other countries who don't follow the news or who just echo what they see but you don't go or, or worse do follow the news <laughs> or worse do follow the news <laughs> yeah but i don't see them volunteer caring on us to go someplace in while they are there to deliberately commit abuses unfortunately because i don't think that someone has to be there to know what they see with their own two eyes i don't think i need to be a chef to know how to make steak i don't like i'm a volleyball coach and if and if we're in the olympics and we miss 14 serves i don't think someone has to be an expert in volleyball to say if you miss 14 serves you're probably not going to win that game all right i'm not going to be like why don't you go to the olympics and train with them and find out that's so that's unfair that's that's the false dichotomy that's taking the argument completely one one way to the other um where which i'm glad because in order to, to for us to get to the middle sometimes that's where we need to start here's where i agree with you I don't, whether it's propaganda or whether it's blown up to be something smaller, bigger than it is, if it's there and if it's in the news and if it's happening in front of our faces, we have to do something about it. I, I don't care if it's small or if it's big. If, if it makes well, the news, but if it, I, no, but my point is, no, but my point is, if it makes the news, I agree with you that we shouldn't sit on our hands and not call it what it is. These are evil, sure. unspeakable acts. Here's where I disagree. If you told me there was a group of soldiers that were maiming, that were raping, killing, burning people alive, doing all this stuff, and you had all these unspeakable acts and did not mention the country, 
I would have thought you were talking about the United States. <laughs> I would have thought you were talking about our military, right? So, I mean, this is, I'm not saying, I'm not saying that it's okay because everybody does that. That is disingenuous and that's not how you or I are built. Um, I'm, I'm just saying, I'm agreeing with you that if it's out there, we should not, we should not do what we do with our own country and being like, oh, we didn't know about WMDs. Oh, that was an intelligence failure. No, he should be prosecuted. And these Russian guys, these soldiers, all up the chain of command all up to Putin. If they did that, the Bahan should be in jail too. That's all I was trying to say. You know, I'm, I'm agreeing with you. We, we disagree on, yeah. on methods and, and exceptionalism on certain countries. Sure. And, and you, I love having you on the podcast because like you said, there is a value in being there and mm -hmm. there's a value in doing invest real you're you're a journalist you're not a freaking parrot <laughs> this person said that i'm saying that you're not that's not that's not irena that's not the arena i'm talking to no, you are you are a real g out there doing investigative journalism way, and, 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 nothing, and, and the thing is you have nothing to gain i like you because you have nothing to gain or lose by telling the truth you you, you look you have an agenda but your agenda is for peace all right I, and, exactly. and i get that and i get that and that's what yeah, I'm that's not trying to you know i mm -hmm. i actually making a lot of enemies with my positions among people who are supposed to be quote unquote on my side whatever and then it's and then they listen to this podcast you know why? Because in the beginning of this podcast, I romanced the hell out of you, uh, um, and 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 the and our audience got to see the girl who grew up and, and and shaped the woman you are today. And if they see, they understand how you grew up. Even the people that disagree with you have an empathy and be like, you know what? I want to argue with that girl. I want to tell jokes with that girl. I want to have a drink with that girl. I want us to 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 constantly ask the question. And if everybody does this, like you and me, maybe we can find a way to answer some of these questions together. That's all I'm trying to say. That's I all I'm trying to say. I actually literally wish more people did that. Yeah. Unfortunately, what I see a lot more. Is <laughs> They're not gonna yeah. let this on YouTube. <laughs> This is this is too correct. They're not gonna let this on YouTube. <laughs> no, but it's go ahead. Like people rehashing the same talking points. My side, your side. Mm -hmm. Let's just say yeah. our familiar talking points. Half the time, the people who say them didn't even bother looking past whatever, you know, finds a resonance at the moment. And that's what you know. I don't. I I, I don't like. I get if right. people genuinely think about something happened to draw, but. Conclusions, I disagree with them. That's fine. It's my job to convince them and provide evidence for why my... But if you see people who are not even trying, that's what gets me. Who are just doing their... Because it gets gets them the best hits or the best ranking or because all their friends are saying them and they just repeat. That's, that's what I don't want. Well, the best and worst news outlets you're going to get are from YouTube. Right. Uh, the best, the best, because the, the, the people that get paid to tell the truth, maybe they're rich kids or trust fund babies and they're not losing money. Right. But I, I don't trust MSNBC anymore. I don't. I mean, Rachel Maddow makes twenty three thousand dollars an episode. <laughs> OK, so of course she's going to pump. Right. Of course she's going to. She, I mean, it, it, even if she agrees with you, I don't trust her as much as I trust you. <laughs> I'm not trusting her because she said so. She has an agenda. Uh, uh, right. You're gonna. You're not gonna hear them say anything bad about big farmers. Seventy-six percent of their commercials. If you sat and watched CNN for a whole day, and just not a whole day, but for like four hours, and just did a ticker, like a check mark, every time there was a commercial uh, uh, promoting a pharmaceutical product, it comes out to about seventy seventy-six percent on on your worst day. So of course, I don't trust them. 
You know, I lost respect for Rachel Maddow when she pumped this conspiracy theory about, about Russiagate with Donald Trump. I lost respect for Don Lemon and some of these guys when they said Joe Rogan was taking horse dewormer, when, when, when ivermectin is listed on, on, uh, on the, the WHO list of essential medicines, you know? And, and Joe Rogan, and to, to quote Joe Rogan, he says, I can afford the real drug, mother, you know, mother, you know, why is your, because he had Sanjay Gupta on his podcast. And you know, three hours and 12 minutes, at some point, he's going to ask the question, why is your network lying about whatever, you know? And I don't respect Fox News because the judge actually had to declare that Hannity and Tucker were entertainers and not media people and not to be taken seriously. A judge banged his gavel and said, nope, don't believe what they say. And then when they tried to sue Rachel Maddow, the same judge banged his gavel and said, don't believe what she says either. So, so it's important in the, the work you're doing. It's, it's important. Uh, um, I love YouTube journalists. I love me some Sabby Sab. I, lo I love me some Jimmy Dore because Jimmy Dore is the most judgmental, non-forgiving Jewish person you're ever going to meet, right? He is consistent with most Jewish people I grew up with. He doesn't do redemption. He does guilt. <laughs> okay. <laughs> You got muscles that do. before redemption. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, you're gonna, dude. You're gonna feel it all the way to your path oh, to boy. redemption, and I'm still not gonna forgive you. <laughs> <laughs> At the end, you're gonna do everything I ask, and I'm still not gonna be your friend. Oh. That's, that's, but he is no. But this, if you're a way, can find a way to put this in satire, and to be politically homeless, you know, because now before it, political people like what john stewart or or trevor noah they were funny because at that time the republicans were the stupid party but now that the, the, there's a reversal now that the democrats are kind of the stupid party those guys are not they're not as popular anymore party republicans have tend to be somewhat more cohesive in deregulation they're more competent in governance yes. they do whatever they're doing better their machine is stronger do you know what I mean by that? Their machine is more powerful. Uh, Look at, at this moment, I wouldn't say that because they're kind of split into different camps and fighting each other. So I wouldn't say that their machine is stronger, but they're just better at certain governance-related things, competent execution of particular bureaucratic tasks, right? And deregulation and not getting in the way of people making money. They no are doubt. better at this. Yeah. Well, so, I I will use this as correlation to support my argument. Uh -huh. And let's just have a little fun, okay? Yeah. Um, the last four Republican presidents, a B-level actor, okay, Ronald Reagan, all right, mm -hmm. governor of California, right, um, George Bush, H.W. Bush, an absolute genius and, and, and a CIA spook. Um, mm -hmm. His son, George W., a C student that somehow got into Yale. All right. Mm -hmm. Donald Trump, a game show host, you know, who inherited his He's money. Not even a Republican, no. really. He was no. Democrat most of his life. No, but he He's ran. A... No, but listen, he ran as a Republican. And when sure. he ran as a Republican, guess what? That guy was their hero because he manipulated them because he knew how mm -hmm. easier, easier would win be to win as a Republican. No way Trump would have run as a Democrat. Now, look at the last four presidents who are Democrats. All right. Now, mm -hmm. Jimmy Carter. He's a rocket scientist, <laughs> okay? Bill Clinton, one of the most intelligent people I met him personally at the Waldorf Astoria. My boss, Dr. Rosenfeld, got an award for Physician of the Year by the American Heart Association. Mm -hmm. He has a light behind him that's so bright when he walks, everyone next to him, like pigeons to bread, follow him. <laughs> uh, Barack Obama, 
one of the brightest minds and, and be, probably one of the best statesmen, regardless of your politics, one of the best statesmen the United States have ever had. And then you got a one-off, Joe Biden, who's, who went to November on the dementia drumstick didn't, and was definitely far removed from the, the Biden who debated Paul Ryan in 2012 for the, in the VP debate. That was a guy that had a memory like a steel trap. He was still crazy Joe, but he had a, he had a memory. So look at the last four Republican presidents. One smart guy. <laughs> Look at the last four Democratic presidents. One dumb guy. <laughs> Correlation's not causation, <laughs> but but if you look at the pattern, it's worth a look. That's all I was trying to say. <laughs> Honestly, I think I think people underrating uh, Reagan. Personally, I don't think academic credentials are everything. I think there's a lot yep. to be said for sweet smarts, and I think he had them. Yep. Similarly, Obama was is considered a, a smooth speaker, a smooth operator. He made Statesman. the way he did. But let's look at his actual accomplishments academically. And I did, and I've talked to people who taught with him. What did he, as a professor, as a law professor, what did he actually write? Because how we measure academics is by their production. Not that much, nothing, actually. In no. 10 years, he published like art one article no jesse ventura p published more than he did and jesse only had a so, jesse ventura so only had a year of college he had the right credential <laughs> he's certainly not a stupid person but he's also but is he overrated in terms of his intellectual achievements no no i agree nobody yeah, but nobody you know, even uh, the let's, most let's but, not get credentialism in the way of evaluating people as as their accomplishments was as had the brains but his policies were terrible they were disastrous economically and, and foreign policy see I'm, no one will say he's stupid but his policies were just bad i mean yeah as far as worst moments go yeah you can you can say that about eight years of ronald reagan too you know who was who's the republican hero <laughs> you know eight years of great with him not on flatbush avenue not where i grew up you know and my parents were, were republican <laughs> so you know what i'm saying so i mean as far as looking at people's worst moments yeah sure but because I, as parties both parties in uh have historically overlooked certain areas and by areas i don't mean geographic areas mm -hmm. or professional areas i mean right. uh I'm trying, uh, they overlooked certain segments of economy, certain segments of, uh, and policy, but politically as well. Yep. They use them as talking points. By the way, I, I, I you know, I, I call them both equally accountable. You know, the Democrats come in, come in, call, uh, you know, talking about how they do all these things for Russian minorities, Chicago. Chicago uh, suburbs, Nothing. you know, I still a wreck. I agree. Come in criticizing Democrats for uh, for being hypocrites and then also don't do anything about Chicago suburbs and still remains a problem. Right. <laughs> so, so, so I call both parties accountable. Yeah. Um, Democrats have a machinery in terms of a more collective approach to things. So, right. in theory, they are better positions to do things. They help each other. Republicans are individuals, so they don't. So by definition, they're not going to have um, a structure towards geared towards institutional value, right. and it's bo both good and bad. It has its downsides politically as well as you know. You know, on the one hand, you're not going to be seen as someone conspiring to take everything over. On the other hand, you will have less impact, and whatever great ideas you may have. You will not necessarily have any way of implementing them if you don't have sway where you need to have sway in. So the Republicans have made, on the one hand, yes, okay, they're 
they're against all this, you know, collective control nonsense, and I agree with it. But on the other hand, now they're complaining that professional associations are being taken over by local years, that the economy is in shambles because of, you know, proto-communist ideas. So where are you? You don't have any control. You're barking from the sidelines. Right. Is that smart strategy? No, not really. Do you believe so, in Do you believe in term limits? For? For Congress okay. and Senate. There are pros and cons to that approach, and I have thought about that very deeply because it's very appealing on the surface. But if you think about what actually happens, practically speaking, and if you really know Washington very well, practical downsides to that is that actually surprisingly, and I'll get to Section 230, by the way, you'll ha- you'll be very surprised about my opinion. On yes, the please. Um, but during your, your diatribe, I do want you to take some, in the middle of it, um, uh, define for our audience what Section 230 is. Sure, but before I get to that term limit, yeah, at some point, surprisingly enough, someone like me should be for term limits because it's kind of limits corruption and same people staying in power for for too too long. I get, I really get that appeal. Seriously, I do. Uh, but parliament parliamentary democracy is a prime example of of how that can very quickly become a problem. But actually, if you have term limits, the lobbying pressure will actually be much worse because inst- because a person who does not have as much time to sit there and formulate their policy and their political vision will be much more in control of external interests than their own even staffers who take the time to research and do that so yes this lobbying is still a big problem now i'm not saying it isn't but it actually would be even more of a problem ironically if it didn't exist. Limits. right if it didn't exist i like um I like term limits only in a sense that when you get elected, if you stop campaigning for your next election, you could actually get some work done. The reason why the Democrats who had control of the House, control of the Senate, control of the White House uh, were finger pointing is because they were working on ways to get reelected in, instead of what their constituents wanted because it was too risque and they weren't going to get elected. However, let's say you have two four year terms. And your second term, whatever, you don't. You're just gonna do. You're. you're uh, those people tend to do what's right at the end. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because they're not, unless they're looking for some book to sell or looking for another position. Uh, which, like you said, because it's uh, they, these are career politicians, so they no one wants it to be over. But I think certain people have less to lose by doing the right thing. You know what I'm saying? And I love what you said about Republican presidents because some of them do things that are not logical and sensible, but at the same time, right. And like you said, that, that goes beyond academia and and uh, what someone read in the book and telling everybody how things are supposed to be. So I get that. Section 230. So Section 230, very simple for, 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 for everyone. Uh, it's a re- it, it offers protection to social media companies against third party activity. So say for liability, have, right? Yeah, if you have a if you if you are Facebook and you somebody is advertising on your page and somebody takes issue with that advertisement, you they can sue you for the advertisement. They have to sue whoever that is directly. Right. Good. Yeah. Basically, very simple. It's not. It applies not just to advertising, but also to comments. Let's say I write a nasty comment somewhere, and you know it's up to Facebook whether to delete it or not. Uh, but ultimately, if something happens as a result of me writing that nasty comments, it's not Facebook going to be responsible. It's just going to be me. And that's the way so, it should be. So the current discussion 
uh, now is whether to remove 230 or not. There is a few lawsuits uh, facing the Supreme Court uh, by families of victims of ISIS because these these families are claiming that by allowing at a certain point in time ISIS to proliferate on social media pages, uh, you know this these uh, companies allow them to publicly conspire and carry out the killings that resulted in the deaths of these American individuals. Right. So interestingly enough, different parties, both parties are, their voices in both parties in favor of removal of 230 Democrats, because they think the, that will hold the social media companies accountable, and Republicans because they believe that it will result in less censorship. But to be honest with you, I really don't get that argument. I actually think it will result in more censorship because then facing liability, the companies are more likely to be cautious in who, what voices they and what advertising they allow, and they'll censor more, not less. Now, I would support that if I knew that big tech was, was bipartisan. It's not. Okay, if they decide what to take down, you know, it's going to be motivated by by one side of the political party. Oh, this is misinformation. Who determined it was misinformation? A whole bunch of guys are independent fact checker checkers are experts. That's nonsense. You know, because you've gotten your Facebook account removed for some things that they might Literally, have cons- that they yeah. considered information that you so that, by the way, was with- true. Okay, what was a uh, uh, what? Sorry, what was a conspiracy theory in 2017 is now a spoiler alert <laughs> in 2023. So. So that's why I disagree with with getting rid of it. Um, the other thing is you are allowed to people are allowed to lie on CNN and get sued for lying on CNN and CNN doesn't get sued. Right. CNN. Yeah. Why is CNN? Why are these people that uh, are, are allowed to do that? They're like they're, they're setting it. They're setting up this aristocracy that the only ones that are allowed to lie and be liable for it. But we're not going to be liable with them are the people that, again, like I said in the beginning of this podcast, these people are shaping the rules that they're not going to follow themselves. They don't have to. This Twitter Twitter exists because of the blue check. Go on your Twitter wall right now. The next, the first 10 people that you don't even follow are going to have a blue check to their name. They're going to have their opinion and they're going to allow the minions to uh, 430 comments to argue why they disagree with what a, a famous person thinks. So I don't I don't support it because because I don't I want free free thought. This is this is America. OK, popular speech, popular speech doesn't need protection. Unpopular speech needs protection. I agree with that. I just think, I I basically think that this is a very legitimate concern. Mm-hmm. I think Section 230 has absolutely nothing to do with it. Right. It has nothing to do with liberalizing speech either way or is, not. Do you think it's, it's a, a head fake or a distraction? I think it's, I think that the Congress is desperately looking for a way to deal with this problem. Right. And they can't think of anything else. (laughs) (laughs) No, I I honestly firmly believe that. I I genuinely do. (laughs) I do too. That's why I didn't mean. This is an involuntary laugh. I promise. (laughs) I literally, actually, I firmly believe that. (laughs) Including, you know, the the few people I respect, I literally think they're searching for a solution to satisfy Mm. all the public, you know, you know, conflicting interests and demands over this issue. And this is the best they can come up with because honestly, it nothing really applies quite well. Quite mm-hmm. frankly, big tech is looking to have an influence that rivals or at the very least complements state actors. Let's mm-hmm. let's be clear with that. That's what 
they've grown to be so influential and so big that that's what they want to happen. They make huge money from selling data to China and whoever else. That's how they work. That's their essence. That's how they were structured to be. So unless you want to destroy the companies completely, disincentivize financial and just leave platforms as just platforms of communication, which is also not going to happen. Uh, You know, you made my day though. That couldn't stop. It's not. It's not. (laughs) This this thing just does not, you know, fit there. It doesn't do anything. It's not going to change the. (laughs) I don't mean to. You. You. It's your fault. It was. This isn't strictly involuntary. No, 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 no. But I, I get that. It's like people who, like, what was it? Where, how do I handle this huge thing that I am, that is completely out of control and that I can't, you know, oh. where do I grab onto? Oh, wait, look, there's something that is somewhere. And, and oh. that's why I don't, you know, I just don't think they. I am. Um, it reminds me of a joke my da- um, father told me when I was a kid. Um, there were oh, some white people that got on the bus, right? And the white people looked at two black people and said, you have to get in the back of the bus. And the black people were like, no, we don't. <laughs> You're in the wrong century. I don't have to go anywhere. Yes, you do. No, you don't. And they're ready to fight. And then the bus driver gets out of the seat. And he's like, all right, knock it off. He said, from now on, there ain't going to be no black. Ain't going to be no more white. Everybody on this bus is green. Does everybody understand me? Yes, sir. Do you understand me? Yes, sir. Do you understand me? Yes, sir. All right, light green in the front, dark green in the back. I was just like, oh, <laughs> that's, that's, that's exactly what. No, but like solutions, like they needed to. The bus driver needed to do something. That's just an example that just made me laugh. It's it's not maybe not the smartest thing, but like we need, we can't do nothing. We have to do something, even if it's stupid. <laughs> yes, that's unfortunately that's exactly it. I really mm-hmm. don't think it's going to solve the problems that mm. they think it's going to solve because it's not, you know. Yeah. Oh my no. goodness! So the, the the argument they're saying is that oh well, removing Section 230 will make it like a utility company that everyone has to have access. But in reality, it doesn't actually just do that. Right. The liability thing will cancel whatever ben- benefit of the quote unquote utility access that everyone has to have a say. Right. So if they want the, to have that particular impact of being of company of social media companies biz tech companies turning into phone like utility companies that have to deliver service to everybody equally no matter what the opinion mm-hmm. then that should probably design an early craft crafted legislation arguing that specific point and nothing else my solution is let the constitution do what it was intended to do okay free speech is a double-edged sword just educating our people at home, free speech, um, the First Amendment is just designed, I mean, you're the lawyer, so I need to educate the, the plebs, all right? Free speech is designed to, to prevent government persecution of, of your free speech. We're talking, remember we had a conversation about freedom after the speech? Uh, and that's what, that's what the principles of the American values of the First Amendment was. And in our history, the best way to combat free speech is with free speech. <laughs> you don't, if you cancel someone or if you censor someone, do you know what's going to happen? It's going to create a tension that boils over so far to the top. There, there will be an explosion that no one sees coming because they, you don't see it coming. ISIS had an account. You, you're not going to tell me that the government didn't already know that, right? 
Just like a Chinese balloon coming to America, we find out later that the government saw monitored that, that balloon when it left China. So we basically want to, a, a lot of the times we want to see where it's going before somebody else sees it. And, and now we got to shoot it down because like, it, and you, like the balloon thing, it turns out like an airline, you know, uh, uh, pilot saw it and they're like, all right, someone saw it. Now we got to shoot it down. But they were, they were watching that thing. Uh, reports now say they were watching that thing when it left China. Yeah, <laughs> you know? absolutely. And our common sense, not our high intellect, our common sense dictates the question of, they already got satellites that that can literally that can literally go and you know see outside our office and, and me doing this podcast with you as we speak they need a damn balloon <laughs> well that's because balloon was not just there to gather intelligence it was no. there first to test our reaction to new foreign objects second it mm. had the potential to carry explosives right third unlike signals intelligence right <clears throat> it had it had uh, an ai component the which meant it could communicate directly to the controllers right which is new that's not something that actually actually the satellite system under some of the, the the european technology is able able to do that too bad the chinese had to use a balloon i like that argument because your argument was china the chinese were testing us in light of the fact of uh, that we knew that it left china we were monitoring it since it left china we've been monitoring it since it blew this way i would suggest that we were testing china well both of us wanted to see what this new technology was going to do because this type of balloon is different from the previous ty types right. of balloon mm -hmm. previous types of balloons for instance could not possibly carry nuclear missiles mm -hmm. and they couldn't get high enough to carry them no doubt and yep. this uh, this balloon for the first time entered that Sir, that area that was not exactly U.S. space, but was not exactly you know stratosphere, but you can't control qualifies as close enough, right? Exactly. Mm -hmm. So this was something new. We did want to see what would happen, but then we were you know previously, uh, what China did is they the balloons balloons briefly got into U.S. airspace, but they didn't stick around to traverse the entire country. Yeah, like, but, but like my point the, is, we knew we've been if we've been tracking it since it left China, mm -hmm. we didn't lose it in in, in the twilight no. zone, and it magically no, appeared no, on our shore. Time. Yeah, so that's but, this, so chicken of the egg, right? <laughs> yeah, so I, I I think you know this big tech problem is you know it's a whole new horizon. I think we need to have more creative solutions than you know either letting the companies control every method of communications or on the other hand preventing you know creating nonsensical obstacles on top of whatever whatever problems already exist outside of action there... sorry i mean my bad i'm i'm so rude <laughs> I'm, I'm such a guy go ahead finish your sentence i mean honestly it's not easy to it's not i'm not going to argue that it's an easy problem to solve or figure out it's not right that's precisely it that's because you have issues of private property. You have issues of speech. You have issues of 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 the fact that we have we live in a globalized society. People want to talk to people from another end of the world. They don't just want their country regulating speech in a way that, regulating you know. But these companies work on selling data. One issue that people are uh, not realizing there is a huge dispute between the European Union and the U.S. right now over this. Yeah. Facebook might get shut down in Europe. Can you imagine if Europeans and Americans can no longer freely communicate when they wish? 
I know. And we have to resort to just, okay, WhatsApp or whatever, but it's still not the same thing as being able to share information freely, you know, when you feel like it because of data regula regulatory issues concern. I have, so it's kind of, please, I have one more serious question before we get sure. to the lightning rounds, which is, is going to be fun, I promise you. Do you think tech competitiveness is better than them coming to a collective solution where there's one entity that runs it? Yes, I do. I I believe any competitiveness is better and any competition will naturally involve some level of cooperation, by the way. So it's not actually an either or scenario where you compete and you uh, just have to destroy everybody around you to, to win. Actually, that's not an optimal solution because then you may result to, uh, to methods that don't necessarily enhance the quality of the end product. So yes, some level of cooperation for to optimize um, the results for the consumers and for society, some level of cooperation will be necessary, but you will never have an ideal product. You will always need to have an edge. You need to, you need to want to look alternative solutions. I mean, I'll give you an example from the medical sphere. What happens when only one theory wins over and kills off everything else? And censors uh, everyone get... and censors everyone that feels differently. Yeah, look at the Alzheimer's medication yeah which wow. did not happen because one theory prevailed everybody invested resources into that one false theory pursued it for 20 years and as a result now we are no better off than we were 20 years ago and literally have to start from scratch because, because every resource went into one theory right now yeah. the same thing can happen with technology if you if you uh, put all your resources, all social resources into creating one quote unquote ideal product that mm. kills disruption, that yeah. kills innovation. Right. What, what, what else? Product. You know what else kills innovation? Um, risk management. Like, if you're going to have a big company like Pfizer, AstraZeneca, or whatever, the most important mm -hmm. thing in those companies is risk management. If you come out with, if you deflate, uh, come out with a product that's not good, or if you, or if you hold back from a product, um, Let's say they came out with a pill and they don't they, they don't disclose the full side effects, right? Mm -hmm. Let's say a whole bunch of people do a class action suit. Sure. A class action suit. Let's call it let's call it three hundred and fifty million dollars, right? Mm -hmm. Let's say they made fifteen billion. They they have risk management people that make this decision that we will rather risk a lawsuit. In fact, if a lawsuit never even happens, that's extra money for us. But we're putting, they, I, my, I'll bet you they put that money in escrow, <laughs> you know, like a house, uh, um, just just in case they get sued. This is the number. And the number is going to be so big that people are going to take it, but not too big where it's going to it's going to uh, um, change the way they do their business. And and mm -hmm. it's uh, it's not completely connected to what you were saying, but I wanted to to, to throw that in there just for no, that's just, for, just for salt. Point. That's why people yeah. hate the FDA. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, the gold, and the gold standard is constantly recalling medications because of some some effery that you know <laughs> i mean that's all maybe that's a whole nother episode <laughs> right? yeah i mean how do you balance out you know mm -hmm. yeah yeah <laughs> she's like don't get me started <laughs> yeah it's a, it's a whole another yeah i could yeah, rant for hours about that and, and it's not even my area of expertise but i still have opinions <laughs> I, I think and, and again we have common sense there's there's something called whatever happened to just putting two plus two together right like, like for this pandemic, you 
people can can talk about the science and ignoring the science and all that stuff but how about your just ability to count <laughs> i'll give you an example here's an example there's 100 people that live in a village right mm -hmm. um let's say 10 10 people don't get a vaccine let's say sure. the other 90 people do right mm -hmm. so if five of those 10 people get infected what what percentage is that that's 50 percent, right Mm -hmm. Now, if the remaining 90, if 30 of the 90 get infected, what percentage is that? That's 33%. So it looks like the people who chose not to are getting infected at a higher rate. If, so if you introduce the statistic and, and percentage, it makes it look conce conceivably worse. But if you actually look at the math, that's quantitative reasoning. The smaller the sample size, the higher the probability. So, so I'm not a doctor. But if, if you just use a little common sense and, and look at the math, there's something that there's something that you're not you're not telling this you're 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 telling the story this way to convince people to to do something else. Actually, the story was told in the worst way possible. The only story was that's the only argument that was necessary and should have been made. Listen, the vaccine is not perfect. It's not a panacea from all ills. But right. it, it reduces the chances of dying or going to the hospital if you don't have any autoimmune, autoimmune conditions that make you vaccines in general bad for you. So you know what? If you want to, if you are, if you want to, if you are a vulnerable person, or if you want to reduce your chances of going to the hospitals, and you know, here's here's the, the vaccine. Go take it, and I, I bet you more people would have gone for it than you know. I agree. And for YouTube purposes, we have to say that the vaccine works perfectly and it prevents severe disease and prevents hospitalization. And it's excellent. Uh, <laughs> now, lightning rounds. <laughs> I told you I'm good. I should. Hey, I, I should. It. I personally enjoy shots. <laughs> I should, I should, me too. Me too. Shoot me. Shoot me up whatever you want, man. <laughs> um, so there's our 60 second clock. These are lightning round questions. Quick questions, quick answers. Nothing too loaded. You ready? Yep. All right. So, a favorite comedian? Oh, uh, actually, Russian ones. So, I don't really watch too many American comedians. Okay. Last good book you read? The one I'm reading now, Excellent Without Borders, The Hakani Network and the Road to Kabul by Jerry Van Dyke. Excellent. Marvel or DC? Marvel, 100%. Me too. Pool or beach? Beach. <laughs> of course. Lord of the Rings or Harry Potter? Haven't read or watched Harry Potter, but really like Lord of the Rings. Uh, your favorite sport as a spectator? Figure skating. Favorite action film star growing up? I only had watched a few, like uh, Van Damme and Arnold Schwarzenegger, so I didn't really, so I didn't really have much of a choice. I, it was mostly action flicks of that type that we had access to at the time. I can't say in retrospect that they would have been my favorites had they had more access to who's, other things. Who's the GOP nominee for 2024? Too early to tell because I don't know who 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 is fully. Everyone who is running or who announced. So no, who, no, who do you think? No, predictive validity. Who's who do you think is gonna is gonna run? You think it's DeSantis and Trump? No, I okay. do not actually. Uh, last question: Does Biden make it to two thousand twenty-four? You mean in terms of being alive <laughs> or in terms of running? 
<laughs> I'm sorry, but I have to clarify. No, we I need a. Do we need an extra to... minute for that one? <laughs> <laughs> he might survive. You know, I'm not. I'm not God, but I don't think he's going to run for a second term. Me neither. I. I, I don't. I, I think I would be in, in severely impressed with the man. I will have a changed opinion if he actually runs again, uh, like he says he is, and, and makes it to 2024. Um, not trying to cast terrible aspersions on him. I, I just I just want people to, uh, I just want us for a country to be okay, and I want that man to be okay. I didn't, you know, not yeah, not, yeah, not my favorite course, president, yeah. not my favorite candidate, but um, but I want I want people to be okay because that's sure. how because that's yeah, how yeah. we were I just raised. don't really don't think he's going to run for second term. As for mm -hmm. DeSantis, he's a great governor, mm -hmm. not even a good, a great governor. Yeah, I don't think he's ready to run for president. No. I think he will flame out earlier because he picked too early, and I don't think he's going to be the nominee. Even though right now it looks like everybody there's a high level of support for him. Yeah, but that's what happens, right? When you play your card early, they 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 mm -hmm. they gather and arm arm themselves with as much information as they can. So, totally agree with you on that. So, wow, <laughs> two hours and fifteen minutes. Um, <laughs> sorry about that, but um. Is there a particular site where people want to know more about your journalistic work or whatever, or, or, or an IG handle where people want to know more about the work you're doing? Sure. So, I, well, first of all, there is, you know, my law firm and my company, my law firm is Irina Zuckerman's National, National Security Boutique Law Firm. Just Google that. That'll one of the first things that comes up. Scarab Rising is where I do my geopolitical analysis. And the Washington Outsider is where I do... Uh, I do that. Uh, I do. I share articles from voices around the globe that you won't necessarily find in your mainstream media feed. I also have a Substack where I put together my media appearances and also uh, share occasional things that don't quite fit into everything else. Responses to things happening, responses to articles or arguments with people in online that I have that are, that need to be substantiated. So like that's that. my Snapstack account. Excellent. So, Irina, um, let me tell you something. You might love everybody, but me, I don't love everybody. In fact, we're out of here. I, I can't stand these people listening to me. <laughs> all right. So for all of you at home, for all of you on your iPad or your iPhone, for all of you on your desktop, who runs the world? Old school, baby. This is Arena Sukerman. I am Jason DeBellius. This is episode 167 of the Option Podcast. Stay with me as I hit my music. We are out of here.